Dave, thanks for coming in. Appreciate Gary, it. Good to see it. Gary, good to see you. Hey, what's the story? That's All well. Yeah, just before we get going here, uh, I can believe this, but I've whipped out the old Casio keyboard. Is this the old school Casio from Captain's Road? This thing is from the 80s. This thing is older <laughs> than you. God, I heard been... you guys were in a band, were you? Why do you keep telling people we're in a band? It's something you keep saying, you're not, but it was the problem. It was the case. We were a musical dynamo. So I just strung to... a few notes together and you rapped. It was, that's, that's not a band. <laughs> I think we're going to have to uh, take it old school and bring it back, Prof. Well, while we're, while we're here, can you think of any songs we could uh, play? I think you could... Fire it away. Fire it away. I think you could belt Fire it away. Fire it away. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll have this one in mind. East End episode 92 and it's monthly madness and it's a special this month and uh, we have James Nolan and um, Dave Carpenter with us today so it's a uh, part two of our Tallah Stadium saga and the 400 Club special so we had part one with Mick Cairns and Robert Coggins and if you haven't heard it already it was episode 77 released in January and that covered the years between 96 and 2004 and just before we go any further we want to say a big thank you to the Penny Hill Carrier who still sponsors us I don't know how they've kept on for this long and they've provided us with some lovely beers today. We're on the Cobras and a big shout out to them and ask for Louise as well because she's a she's great knowledge and she picked out the Cobra originally and Prof has been converted from a cider man to a Cobra man. So, Dave is uh, happy too, I think. Yeah, oh yeah. Not bad, no complaints. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, 96 and 2004 was the last one's covered. If you remember the style of the episode, that one we did. Uh, you'll know what you're in for today. It'll be a very little football discussion, almost entirely off the field show. So, yeah, once again, what we, you're in for. we've uh, carefully chosen our guests, and we've come up with two men at the heart of everything that went down. And like I said, it's James Nolan and Dave Carpenter. So, welcome, lads. What do you think of Johnny Blows? Great, brilliant yeah. setup. Very yeah. impressive. All uh, most of his donations, isn't it? Most of the stuff has been given to us by yeah, fans, yeah. and we've a sign ball behind you. There's a C from Windsor Park there from our game against Linfield. <laughs> Proud <laughs> night, we got it. Proud night for the club. <laughs> we had a couple of Del Piero with his crest, we had badges everywhere. It's a, it's a Rovers haven. I didn't see any of you at the uh, football program fair this morning. Where were you? Walking the dogs. In the, sh- ships in the night, prof. I think we just missed you. I think they were still hung over from the Spice Girls. Giving us socks on Friday, they were. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the Warford game prof called off, so we haven't, uh, haven't got a game for a while. Yeah, so after this show, we're going to be back on Thursday, the 6th of June. So, we'll review the Cork game then. 
give you all the usual news, but briefly, we do want to touch on a man named Joey O'Brien. Yeah, Joey O'Brien. D12 <laughs> man, and uh, Prof, you got the assist for the goal. I did, he credited me, the assist. We'd been talking to Joey about his lack of goals for hours <laughs> two days before he played, and he banged one in with the left foot, stroked home as well, wasn't it? Called me his lucky charm. A lucky charm. So I'm happy with that. On his bad foot. On his bad foot, yeah. He's been a player of the season for me, anyway. I didn't want to say that to him at the time, you know, give him a big head, and, but he's uh, he's been my player of the year. He's been fantastic. And um, So, what do you think that's how, how good has Joey been this season? Oh, he's unbelievable. He plays a cigar, doesn't he? He's a breath of fresh air, isn't he? <laughs> Well, just what he gives you it's on yeah. the like everything on the on Friday night was coming down his yeah. side you know so it was, uh, it was a fantastic finish and we were saying to ourselves at the start of the season if Joey plays fullback we won't get much out of him as regards to going forward he, he's been he's been a revelation at fullback he's been brilliant I'd say he could play anywhere you could stick him in centre half midfield even up top we were centre him. forward yeah he played up top <laughs> for dreaming for in his youth might solve a problem <laughs> So we'll take a step back for a moment and you can read some of the messages we got about part one and ask the lads for their take and some of the events that led up to the examinership period. So Killian McHale, a.k.a. Tipperary Hoops, tweeted us. He said, great insight to the struggles that the club went through. Uh, to get to tell a fantastic work from Gary Carroll, Mick and Robert. Learned a lot from the podcast, lads. Thanks very much. And we James Lowe, he said, great listening again, lads. One of the most informative ones yet. Absolutely fascinating listening listening to the pair. I'm very much appreciated insight for those who weren't there. They've set the bar now for these two today. Oh, you're going to have to step up, lads. Step up to the plate. We've Mark Welch. Essential listening for younger hoops. Heroes the pair of them. And they don't even realise it. We Taha Hoop on the forum said brilliant stuff in there. Great to hear two Rovers heroes about there uh, and many other efforts throughout what were really difficult times. Didn't know we were offered a plot in Tala previously or links with Bertie. So uh, JMK last one said those days at the back of the court trying to figure out if the gobbledygook out of the judge was good or bad. <laughs> most times kicking down the line again. See, this is the thing that we wanted to push home and wanted to hammer home is that the struggles that the new fans don't even know about that we went through. So that's something that this episode is all about is to hammer home the struggles that the club went through and the, 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 the struggle that the people involved with the club went with it as well so uh, Johnny Wilson says now all we need is to buy a brick in the wall well be erected he says I still have my cert signed by the late Joe Caldwell and uh, Jason Maloney had a little story he said that show did bring back a lot of memories of mostly bad ones Robert and Mick gave good, in- good insight as both are present for all of the major events of that era. Uh, the reminder of the bricklayers walking off site reminds me of a story. When they walked off, they were all pissed off, as this was an, yet another delay. Myself and Paul Conroy decided to drive up one lunchtime to see what was going on. We pulled up outside the stadium and tried to get in. We were asked, where are we going? And we said, we're here to work, no more delays, says Paul. So the lads tried to stop us and Paul shouts, uh, or Maloney get the tools out of the car so I go to the imaginary trails from the boot and there's panic setting in <laughs> with the guys in the gate we try to keep it up for a while before breaking down laughing unfortunately it didn't get the stadium work done any quicker I can only imagine the type of wall that them <laughs> more known for breaking down walls and building them um, so yeah that's uh, like you said we're just trying to hammer home that point and as fans and trustees of the 400 club describe the frustration of these years and delays of the stadium getting built. So you guys describe <coughs> describe the frustrations you felt over the years, the constant delays from the late nineties to the mid nineties. What's that you, James? Yeah, well, as I was saying before we uh, saw our start recording, I tried to 
have a look back at notes and emails from the time and just the amount of stuff that went on that you just totally forget about that were really major things that happened. Uh, it's impossible to get through probably in a, in a whole ton of episodes. I think more of what I take from that time is the, the feeling and the sense of togetherness that eventually came about because it was a really, really fractious time, Dave. You'll remember there was the whole thing with friends or overs, there was the drip feed of information, there was the massive confusion between Sloan Park, Bramvard, you know. That's uh, something I was fascinated with. The all the different holding companies. It sounded dodgy. Yeah. It the, really was. The different people that were involved, the investors, the Connor Clarksons, the yeah. McNamara's, you know, there was, we don't really know, uh, I guess, what went on and probably... You probably still couldn't talk about it today or you'd you'd end up in court, I, I reckon. But like it was a really difficult time for everybody. You know, the the four hundred club at the time had a had a view, it was backed by a lot of members. There was a lot of members within the four hundred club that didn't. Um there was very, very difficult meetings that we had. The probably anybody remembers the series of meetings in the plazas with Tony Maguire and the, the board. It was they were incredible really to, to look back on it now and very heated. Yeah, I think, but there was there was a lot of different turning points. But I think one of the big ones was uh, the late Pauline Foy, Robbie Foy's mother. Um, she stood up and she asked a question about you know when all the I suppose the stuff started to emerge about the difficulties we were in and things like that. And she asked, I can't remember what the question was. It was maybe you know how come this hasn't come to life before? And the board were just incredibly arrogant to her in terms of response yeah, I remember and, that was and obnoxious towards her it turned everything you know because here was a very genteel you know lady asking the right question and completely shot down that was one of the, the big things that, that I guess turned it but you never knew I suppose what was going on you'd go into the meetings and McGuire in fairness to me he was a great talker like he great man for the, the spin and he could certainly he could certainly turn the room and any momentum you'd built up with outside meetings and getting stuff together was, was often knocked down, um, I guess. But, like, it became difficult. The forum club became to become more powerful as it was, you know, getting the subscriptions in. We went to large membership drives, I guess, and having some funds gave you a bit of power and, and leverage with them. And I guess, like, as the meetings began to continue, we... we kind of begin began to, to wear them down i think from about january of 2005 we were attempting to get a couple of people on the board so that we could really begin to see what was happening we withheld uh, any funding uh, i guess from from the club at that point they kept you know tony mcguire was on every couple of days looking for money so it was really difficult you, you knew you know and the heart of it you should really be giving the money because it's for players and stuff like that but so they'd be constantly tapping into the 400 club and saying we need this we need that yeah, yeah. and yeah. it would be for genuine club reasons yeah absolutely yeah. i mean it, they didn't have money for uh, to pay players and and by you holding out you know risking the players not being paid so yeah. very emotive uh things i guess so uh, one of the i suppose the key times was in i think november 2004 where we relented and gave them 10 grand, I guess, which we told them at that point was an advance on, on season ticket monies for the following year. Right. And then when there was a further cash call, you know, they said, okay, well, we're owed season ticket money. And I'll never forget in the meeting, we said, no, no, we gave that 10 grand in November. And remember, Duncan, yeah, yeah. Dave, he just slapped down his papers and walked out. Yeah. And said, like, we have them now. Yeah. Now they were kind of on the run. But, like, in fairness to some of them, they were involved, big Rovers people, they were 
trying to do the, the right thing for the club. There was a couple of people that, you know, when you look back at the names now, you're going to say, how did they ever, you know, get involved? In really? Yeah. Yeah, Are they still around now? No, no, no. They're, they're long gone, uh, I guess. But, uh, you know, it was, I think it was in about March of that year then when we'd done a lot of work, uh, I guess, with we got our own financial advisor to help uh, in advance of Neil Hughes becoming the, the examiner. Um, and we did, so had a lot of prep work done. We knew a lot of the background. We were able to push on a lot of things. So as a result of that, I suppose Dave and myself were co-opted onto a steering committee to, to help run the club from the end of March with Neil Hughes, the examiner, John Breen and... And Tony McGuire, so they were Wednesday mornings in the skyline yeah, for tea and toast. toast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think the big thing was I got involved in about 2003 in the 400 Club. Rob Tormey asked me to get involved um, because he knew I was, I was an accountant by, by profession and the 400 Club had invested, uh, they'd signed up to invest 250 grand in the club and buy 5% of Brandvard and 5% of uh, Sloan Park. And uh, at the end of the day, they got a shirt certificate that was a photocopy. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't, even it wasn't even genuine. <laughs> so, you know, we were trying to, as James said, we were trying to unravel. Uh, nobody knew how bad the, the finance of the club were. Like, I mean, we knew the club was in debt and it was short of money because we were always back to us looking for money. Um, but the only way that we could put real pressure on them was, was to go down the sort of corporate governance route for them. So, you know, we threatened them with legal action on the basis that we wanted a proper share certificate. We needed to know where the, the monies were invested because the monies went into, was it Shamrock Rovers number one account at the time and nobody yeah. knew who owned the account. So you were going over the book pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we threatened, we, we asked for accounts. We asked for the register of shareholders because people like Connor Clarkson were meant to be involved but we didn't know how they were involved. Um, so we started knocking them back, pegging them back on that and, and sort of threatening them with, uh, you know, basically with, with compliance with company legislation yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's sort of backed them into a corner and we got them to a stage where we'd had a few meetings with them over the the finances of the club um you know and we were willing as, as the 400 club i mean uh, you know we through myself and james and that had a, a lot of financial contacts around town and we you know we put propositions together about to people about how we could fund the development of the stadium mm. in conjunction with South Dublin County Council because South Dublin County Council I think it was early 2005 they rejected the, the planning application mm. from the from the club from Sloan yeah. Park at the time or Maldon whatever was it there were so many different yeah, yeah I think Maldon I think Maldon yeah, yeah you broke the news actually you saw that email this morning the 14th of March I think it was uh, the parallels are gas obviously when we actually later began to yeah. play in Tallaght yeah, you were the one that broke the news that we lost the stadium. Like, <laughs> so, uh, you know, so we, we got them into, you know, we were trying to get them into a direction where uh, we felt that the only route to save the club was, was down the examinership route. And we'd met, as the 400 club reps, we'd met with Neil Hughes, Neil Hughes uh, and well, I can't remember the lawyer that he had at the time. Uh, Barry Lyons. Barry Lyons. We'd met them a couple of times yeah. to prep things up um, ahead of, you know, getting the board to, because the board at the end of the day had to agree to put the club into examinership. Oh, yeah. um, we'd gone to the FAI, we'd met with the licensing committee in the FAI, we told them that the only way forward for the club that we saw was to put it into examinership, uh, but we were going to support the club through the examinership process. Um, and eventually that's that's where we got to, but I mean, it was only when the examinership came about that we really f saw the full extent of the 
the the mess the club was in, like uh, you know, the club when by the time the examinership was concluded, the club owed about over three million. Jesus Christ. So just just as fans actually, uh, when did you both start getting into Rovers, start following the club? Oh, I'm a bit older than James, so <laughs> <laughs> I was into Rovers in the sixties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was you? Eighty nine. Eighty nine. Yeah, just down the road from Daily Mount, so Rovers Bowls first game. Yeah. Rovers won it, and that was me hooked. Yeah. I used to go a lot in, in the seventies when nobody went because of the mate. Uh, it's quite good. Doyer, wasn't it? The 70s? John John Saunders. He used to do the PA. He's now. Uh, global CEO for Fleshman Hilliard or something big uh, PR company but yeah. uh, he used to do the the PA in, in Rovers so I used to go along with John um, so and we claimed to famous I was one of the 63 in what 77 that's a famous Saturday <laughs> <laughs> the lowest attendance ever at Milltown 63 <laughs> paying customers <laughs> so um, yeah with Nick Clark and he said our supporters and players should never forget how we got to where we are the 400 club and others saved us from folding and we should eternally be grateful and people forget that we came within the stroke of a judge's pen going extinct which was the case it really was mm-hmm. So um, the Grey Sports Almanac had a memory from that explosive night at the Plaza Hotel in 2003. He said, for me the key moment was a speech from the floor just before the whack ripped up the proposal. I think it was his brother who made it. Basically the meeting had been tense. We knew we were fucked and we couldn't really be sure the way the response from Rovers Faithful would be. Whoever gave the speech was a classic case of misdirection. He went on a lengthy bit about our troubles and the reality and where we were. Grim stuff, making you think... The worst was about to come, but he wrapped it up with the GAA were playing Tala over my dead body, resulting in the Braveheart scenes from the assembled masses. <laughs> Rovers, Rovers chance in the in the air, and then the whack ripping up the proposal. So, can you remember this? Oh, yeah. 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 And, uh, as I said, like the, those meetings, like you didn't know what was going to come out of it. And looking back now, like they're... A couple of them came close to punch up. Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say that, surely, yeah, when it got I'm, physical. I remember one of the meetings, we met Roddy beforehand, and, uh, you know, <clears throat> he, we agreed with him everything that he was going to say, like, in terms of us. He said like, completely different things, like, fucking Roddy, yeah. Completely threw us off, yeah, but... Um, but I'd say, before, I mean, we went in, into examinership, and it was beginning of April, wasn't it? 2000, around that, yeah, yeah. 2005. Yeah. Um, and we had to... We had to I'll tell you how bad things were. We had to play Waterford in a in a league game up in Dalymount, and the players weren't going to play. They hadn't been paid. Right. And we had if we didn't play the game, we were we were gone. Yes. Yeah, we wouldn't have even got to examinership. So I had to meet Roddy and Billy Boy. That's right. In the car park uh, of the halfway house. <laughs> the north side or the south side? <laughs> One of the Black Horse Avenue. Right. On the Friday. And give them ten grand in cash Jesus. for the team to play. I'm gonna ask where that came from. And the money was supposed to, to go back out the gate, uh, but like at the time, obviously we're we're renting a daily mount, and the agreement was essentially that they get three and a half grand out of every gate, and like Jesus. it was like they took great pleasure in it. The, I'd say the individuals so. that were there, like it was so, like they were some of the worst times where. They're standing outside the room where the cash was being counted. Like they weren't even yeah. gonna let you even try and get out the door. With the so does that add it. to the? I mean, obviously there's there's a bit of needle and intensity between fans. Has that gone on between 
higher ups as regards let's say board level and that I mean is there generally it, it's okay like that sounds what yeah. you said there it sounds like it is the case generally it's okay there was a couple of individuals we were dealing with a daily amount of time that weren't part of the board and, and of course they had their own views and a way about going stuff but uh, there was it was interesting in the agreement that we had at the time there was a, a 10 grand bond in terms of any damage and, and right. stuff like that that was to be run so they held that over our head <laughs> so as soon as we got involved we we're saying, look, we've been here for a few games. There's no problems. We need that ten grand back, or start taking it off the, the rent. But they, they wouldn't relent on it. You know, it was. Uh, in fairness, they were probably right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that the leash would have been off uh, in some respects that way. But like they the were grand lads. Were all right. But they were particularly dark times. I think yeah. you know when, when kind of you're expecting monies to come in and and they're just gone out like that. Like it was, it was really tough. But. Uh, like again what you kind of forget is that the fans were threatening to boycott daily mount uh, up to that point and, and the only reason i think that the boycott was called off is that we did come to an agreement with the uh, with the board probably only a couple of days before the first match uh, first match was against shells uh, in, in daily mountain only we had an agreement on how we were going to work together and the whole piece around like the examinership was coming into play that the people relented um still remember some people standing outside Daily Mount on that first match they wouldn't actually go in yeah. so it's, uh, that's something that we spoke on before um, with the, the picket in Milltown and it was probably one of the most emotional times we've ever had in Johnny Blues I mean there's a lot of memories in here but it was James Cook and Dunster James um, he was he was a, a, a big mm. I mean he was a, he was on the picket <coughs> and I think Dunster was saying some people just want to go and see a game and the two of them got emotional. It really was. I mean, that was the that was the Milltown picket. So I can only imagine what how people really felt. And I'd say that created internal tension. People who wanted to pass the picket and people who wouldn't as yeah. well. Mm. So, um, but sure, there was all sorts going on just around that time. Do you remember Dave when the security walked off site like an hour and a half before the match? Yeah, yeah. Like there was the stewards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They <laughs> were connected with Roddy. Obviously, yeah. we weren't. Uh, things weren't too smooth with Roddy at first, and. Uh, so already made a call. Well, if you've no security, then you can't you can't play a game. Yeah. yeah but I remember, uh, remember the night at the skyline when Roddy came over to meet us, and he was with Terry Everson, and Terry walked in, and Roddy was behind. He was like a boxer entering into the ring, you know. <laughs> so uh, he was that charged up, and I thought, oh, he's gonna swing for one of us here, and because we were trying to, we were in at that point, we we're trying to smoothen out the relationship, and sort of far. He says, "We don't trust you. We don't trust you. We don't trust you." And he points at me. But I trust Jonathan. <laughs> He's my liaison from now on, and walked out. <laughs> and that was, that was it. Yeah, in and out. Couldn't yeah. even get the name right. But yeah. He me, you know, so. so yeah, I tell him I'll, I'll go with Jonathan. Just your face. <laughs> so um, Andy Barfield had uh, been rising over the two years previous to the examinership process, and there was non-pitch protest. Animosity between directors and supporters had been rising for months. Tony McGuire was chairman at the time and he gambled on a policy of maintaining high spending in the hope that Tallis Stadium would provide sufficient funding to repay the debts. Ultimately, a failed policy. Was the was this the crux of the matter, the stalling of the Tallis project, or how did you feel things were being mishandled by the board? Well, you, the, Dave? I suppose when we actually got to see the numbers that were involved in, in, in the club, like, I mean, the club at the time, if you... The gross wage bill at the time was 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 twenty three grand uh, a month, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Or more than we're spending now. Yeah. Like. Um, 
you know, the, the net spend was was uh, yeah was was fourteen or fifteen grand. Like, I mean, they didn't care about the tax. They just weren't paying the tax for the revenue. <laughs> and uh, to be fair to them, like in, in those days, like most clubs in the country probably weren't paying tax to the revenue. They were, you know, or they were if they were, they were paying. They weren't paying the right amount of tax. They'd wait till there was a knock on the door. Type well, thing, wasn't yeah, it? there'd be loads of players getting paid under the table and that mm. type of stuff. You know, so there's a lot of barmen in the team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know. The revenue would have been probably, you know, they'd have been more focused on other things at the time of the Celtic Tiger and, yeah. you know, putting football clubs out of business wasn't good PR for the revenue, so they stayed away from it. And um, But obviously when we went into examinership, that, that, uh, that changed that whole scenario. But uh, it was just the, the spend in the club and the disconnect between, you know, what was coming through the gate and what was being spent on the, uh, on the pitch. Yeah. Like, you know... I remember a couple of times we'd be up in Daily Mountain, you know, there might be a thousand, twelve hundred fans in Daily Mountain. You'd look at it and you'd think, you know. And let's not forget that a couple of those are very possible season ticket holders as well, so not all of that is actually cash. Yeah, and you know, I, I remember being on the pitch one stage before a game and talking to one of our players who was one of our most expensive players at the time and saying, How do you think we can fund the club with a thousand, two thousand, you know, twelve hundred people coming through the gate every two weeks? It's not my fucking problem. I had a feeling something like that would have came up. Yeah. No. So, uh, but I think as well, like you know, when you're hearing stories that the, you know, the roof of the stadium is, uh, or the roof of the stand is on a boat from Scandinavia, yeah. you know, it'll be here shortly, lads. In three like, weeks. You're hearing these type of stories, and and actually had no resemblance to what was going on. <laughs> is, that, is that a real story? Yeah, it's yeah, on the yeah. boat, lads, don't yeah, worry. That, that was one of the, <laughs> the things that came out three to four weeks. Yeah, Everything yeah. was three to four weeks. That was one of the things that came out from one of the big meetings. But like, what people forget is like we had a 14-acre site. There was another three acres on top of the stadium, which was down the road as well. And you had some of the biggest property developers that were involved in the, the, in the country that were involved in the club in some way. Like, and I guess part of their plan was give Rovers a bit of cash, let them spend over their, their means, and then, then we'll see what happens. Yeah, like yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. get this for, for very little. But I mean, certainly some of them had intended building a hotel on yeah. one, of the, one of the parcels of ground anyway. Was mm-hmm. Ben Dolly interested at one stage? Should we get a leisure centre out? Yeah, he came in at one point to proposal of a gym behind the south end of the, the ground. So you had all this, this type of thing. So people were obviously like really interested because there was a lot of development work going on around Tal at the time. And it was a different economic era, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah, a, yeah. It was a prime, prime area. Mm. And, you know, a lot of these guys, I think, were trying to be too clever by half and... You know, if they'd actually properly invested, they could have done something incredible. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think the attempt was to starve Rovers out, but they didn't really anticipate how the fans were able to get organised. Um, they, they, their approach was probably more, didn't take Rovers seriously, was it? They were like, how can we get Rovers out of the way and, and capitalise on this bit of land type thing? Pretty much. And yeah. They weren't far from succeeding in that. Yeah. <laughs> it was Rovers were fortunate in the sense that, you know, we were down to a small hardcore mm. about... 800 to 1,000 people. And when you say hardcore, we I mean, mean hardcore. Hard, they really were people, hard, yeah. yeah, yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they were people like who, who'd been with Rovers like 10, 20, 30, 40 yeah. years. You know? the and, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people, as James said, a lot of people underestimated the strength uh, of passion and the depth of feeling for the club yeah. and, the, um, and the fact that, you know, we organised ourselves um, you know, in, in a manner that other clubs try to emulate later on, you know. When you look at like we were, we were really lucky the mix that we had. Like, so you had 
people that were, you know, like Thomas Frayne, Dejan, you know, he was, was hoops SC, lad, so it? enthusiastic, you know. Um, the butcher. Yeah, a lot of us. <laughs> A lot of us were like, and then you had some of the the older heads, likes of you know Noel Bourne, Eamon Keenan. Then you had the the expertise, the likes of Dave Carpenter that came in, and like we'd we people working for some of the biggest companies in the world. Like, and we had a lot of expertise uh, within the fan base that were out to draw. And so, for instance, you'd come out of a meeting with Tom McGuire, and they'd be talking out the planning permission. They were going for retention, and you could drop an email to the likes of David Bourne, you know, and say. We Find need out. some advice about yeah. all this kind of stuff, and it's all walks of life. Yeah, straight away, like giving dig outs. You were able to tap into all these these type of uh, resources that that most companies couldn't really dream of having that, and it was free, which was great. Yeah. Um, and it was it was available on tap because people were willing to do so much. Even remember Neil Hughes was just he was astounded when they lodged the initial application around the. Um, the examinership because there was a there's a twenty euro fee, it's a nominal fee, but the guy wouldn't charge him. Yeah. The place he was had some kind of rovers connection and he just couldn't get over. He'd never seen that and all the type of things he'd gone through, like uh, in terms of saying, Well, you know, the fee is waived and it was just I suppose it was an indication of the the goodwill that was out there towards yeah. the, the club. So we just uh, set the scene from late two thousand four. So Rovers have just narrowly avoided relegation. Club was essentially in financial meltdown. Players were owed wages, threatened to go on strike. And as you mentioned earlier, at the end of 2004, planning extension was refused. And supporters, obviously, really unhappy with Tony Maguire calling for his head. So we're going to begin with January 2005, Gar. Yeah, the trustees of the 400 Club had serious concerns about Shamrock Rovers FC and in an extraordinary move sought and were subsequently granted a meeting with the FAI at the association's headquarters in Marine Square. So can anyone remember this one? We met with Bob Breen. Bob Breen. We'd asked to meet with John Delaney, who was, yeah. was he CEO or interim CEO he or something. Interim, like yeah. But Delaney, to be fair, well, he... To be fair, the FEI, they were, they were in a bit of a hard... They were between a rock and a hard place because we weren't the owners of the club. We didn't have the licence for the right. for football. Um, we so were could we see a bit of a rogue move to be meeting with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know... Delaney kept his distance. Yeah. We probably had to, to be fair to him, uh, until such time as we got into the examinership process. Um, but we had a couple of meetings with Bob Breen. Bob Breen was the license. I met him at yeah, the, the airport. At the airport. Course, we also yeah. met, didn't we not meet him at the, in the FEI offices at some They stage? wouldn't meet us in the offices. Or around the Marion Square. Marion, yeah, the so Marion it was never Hotel. official. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was all off the record yeah. and nothing in writing, that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think subsequently they learned, because when, when Cork went through there, Travails, they came out with a statement in support of, of the of Forest at the time. So I think that they, they kind of realised, you know, they should have been a bit more supportive at the time. But again, well, like... The, it was then, about then we found out that they'd filed the wrong accounts for the licence. Yeah, filed the wrong accounts is a nice way to... to <laughs> so, filed the wrong accounts... As that where we filed the 2003 accounts yeah. instead yeah. of the 2004 accounts? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So trouble there, was resulting there. in an eight-point deduction, which ultimately uh, bit us at the end of the season mm-hmm. so and uh, then we've 7th of February we move on the High Court quashed a decision by South Dublin County Council not to grant a further extension to Shamrock Rovers for planning permission for the stadium and talent many fans believe that the course of action by the club was not the way to go forward the council's stated aim was to develop the stadium themselves in conjunction with the Department of Sport and Shamrock Rovers would be guaranteed anchor tenancy 
status and many fans were now of the belief that this was the only way the stadium could be completed and the board came to an agreement with Bohemians for the hurry of Dalyman Park for the season and the stadium saga dragged on much to the frustration of the fans. So how do the fans feel that? about Daily Mount? Like what sort of things would they say to you? We're not going. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Like, that was, probably uh, stuff that couldn't be aired. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much it was we're not going there. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, it was only in the couple of days before the, the first match the boycott was, was actually called off. So but I think I think when the the council pull back the, the lease. Like, I think that was the end of the road for any of the, the property speculation because, and it, uh, and it then, that's when... Because we'd also been engaged with the council as well yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's when the board sat down with actually about the real difficulties because they knew they had no, no other option, uh, I think, at that stage. And, you know, uh, the guys were trying to get it for a snip of a price, essentially, yeah. like these property developers. So, I think that's that's when it really fell apart from because until then they had an asset that they could potentially use and he could keep the, the ball in the air that way. But once that was gone then then all bets were off. Yeah. I think Connor Clarkson had a proposal yeah. at the time, but like I mean it was <laughs> the club would have been dead and buried. I mean the you know, the rate of return he was looking on, on the funding for for finishing the stadium yeah. and what he was gonna charge. It's crazy, was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah he was like you said, nobody seemed to take Shamrock Rovers serious when it came to this. It's like they just wanted to make a quick book. Didn't give a fuck about Rovers, mm -hmm. and it was that's that's just the way it was. And they they underestimated them to their peril, really, wasn't it? Yeah, and look, I mean, to be fair to the council, the council acted in I suppose what they considered their public interest. I mean, they had given they'd granted Rovers twelve acres. Um, building had started. You know, to be fair, Joe Caldwell got got something done initially and. Um, but I mean it all fell apart and uh, uh, you know they saw the only way to rectify it was, was to basically halt the plan of permission take back the site and develop it themselves and you know as James had said we, we had ongoing discussions with the council as well around the same time as we were talking to the FAI and um, I mean we were on board with we realised the only way we could get a ground completed was to work in conjunction with the council and with the council what it means difficult with the council <laughs> Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. from what yeah. I've heard. In yeah. fairness, they were they were good to deal with it in some ways. I think Dave annoyed them in one of the meetings when he said, "Yeah, But it was it was interesting because you'd you'd say something. To the now, were these guys versed in as regards to like football terms, and did they did they know the potential of the stadium, or were these guys just like? council board members who uh, just no, didn't really were just sitting on the board didn't really know not the to be, potential no, to, be, to be fair to them I mean they had a vision for Tala and they had a vision that a football stadium was a was a, a an essential component of the greater development of, of Tala yeah. and they could see what football had done community stadiums had done in other cities in Europe mm. so they saw it as as, uh, as a vital piece of infrastructure um, and they saw us obviously because we originally had the ownership of the land uh, and wanted to develop a stadium they saw us as, as a natural tenants even if they were to build it yeah. themselves you know um, if it hadn't been us I suppose it could have been somebody else it could have been Pats or something yeah. you know? well we had to certainly we pushed them a lot um, and in fairness they moved in terms of negotiating like the terms of what the lease would be the, the number of games that we'd get the fact we'd be principal and predominant users of the, the stadium so that we'd have that right as a, an anchor tenant yeah. You know, they've also granted us a quarter acre of land within the the, the stadium complex that we can utilise at some point. And, 
and there was various grants and different things but you know these weren't the type of guys that you could brainstorm something with in a meeting like if you said something they'd look at you blankly and when you push them on it they say well that was never discussed before that's not in the the meeting so for that would they yeah yeah so, so obviously they're on on the clock card here and they're going to get a bit of over time really, on the next really careful as well because yeah. they they kind of knew what they'd say to us could just as soon be on the front page of the paper yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the next day so it's well we were also using political connections as well too so we obviously had councillors that were supportive of what we were doing um at the time too i mean charlie o'connor was was uh very supportive to rovers Connor Lennon, right, yeah. who who I knew from uh, my school days, he was a minister for uh, what was he minister for Irish aid or something at the time. But he got us in front of O'Donoghue, mm. who was the minister for sport, and O'Donoghue had said categorically that the stadium was going to be for football, for soccer, yeah. not for Gaelic, and that was a big turning point, and yeah. that drove a lot of the. There's so much going on, isn't there? Oh. It really is. We'll move on to the 24th of February. And Mr. P. Forlong, Secretary General, Department of Arts, Sports and Tourism, appeared before the Dáil Committee of Public Accounts and answered questions in relation to matters concerning Shamrock Rovers and the half-built stadium in Tala. Responded to a question by Deputy Pat Rabbit, Mr. Forlong confirmed that the state body had given a sum of 2.4 million towards the project. It appeared that Shamrock Rovers no longer had the capacity to complete the stadium by themselves he also confirmed that the South Dublin County Council were involved in direct talks with Molden International the company whose main shareholders were property developers Jeremiah O'Reilly and Bernard McNamara with the view of the interest of Shamrock Rovers would be served if Molden surrendered their lease on the land the estimated cost of completing phase one of the stadium stood at 5 million at this point and the minister John O'Donoghue had indicated that his department were willing to provide the further financial support to complete the project in the event of South Dublin County Council being in a position to undertake the task. Mr Furlong agreed that the Deputy John Curran, Fianna Fáil, the only way the Shamrock Rovers could now possibly achieve their aim of playing talent was for Mulden International to relinquish the lease of to South Dublin County Council. So, there's a lot in that. Um, Take a breath after that. Yeah, give us your thoughts. Part, well, part of the problem too was the grants that they got as well in the past. Some of the grants had gone from the stadium to the the football club, um, which caused further complications, mm. you know. Uh, but uh, as I say, like I mean, through through connections that we had, like we got in to see O'Donoghue, and you know, he was he was adamant in his view that the ground was That's for football. football. Yeah. And, that, and to be fair, like I mean, that was that was some shift for a guy like from minister from Kerry, you know, who's staunch, yeah, you know, he stood his ground and, and that caused the council to go back and uh, change their view because the council had a, there was a vote in the council around the time, wasn't it, where they, they were going yeah, to yeah. ex, extend the pitch mm. at Thomas Davis' request uh, to cater for, for Gaelic football and Thomas Davis had famously said that it wouldn't impact on the stadium it wouldn't impact on the capacity in the stadium so who was uh, I mean Rovers had their political connections who, did, who Thomas Davis has who, who was behind the stra- behind the scenes as, as regards to their own well, Thomas County Davis Dublin, Dublin, yeah. Dublin County yeah. the full back yeah. the, that's enough board. isn't it yeah, yeah. It's that, uh, we got the, the famous email yeah. um, about any fight between Shamrock Rovers and the GAA, you know, they'll be the, the last, last man standing. Stand oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So 10th of oh, March. We're skipping ahead on the Yeah, reading the notes. 10th of March. I think, like, you know, going back to that time, the fact that, you know, losing the stadium was massive because it was the last thing that we had. Uh, but 
in fairness to the council and, and the various kind of state agencies, they were really supportive in terms of getting it done. So there was that level of comfort mm. uh, in it. But, you know, when you'd been on the road so long and, and then for it, because you could see that the half-built shell, like it seemed always seemed so close, as I said, like the roof was floating across on the boat. <laughs> Finland, every time. being gone. Like it was a massive land that everybody got, uh, I think. Like, it was a big shock. There was so many, so many, your hopes were built up so many times and then just torn down. It's, it, I could only imagine it on a personal level, but on the 10th of March, board members of SRFC met South Dublin County Council and a verbal agreement was reached whereby the local authority would acquire the lease of the land and the stadium back from Mullen International. And the plan was that the council, with the backing of the government, would then complete the construction of the stadium themselves. The club was confident that their main investor, Connor Clarkson, was still fully committed to the project, but it was unlikely that Mullen would give up their lease without receiving considerable compensation in exchange. And then with early April, the board of SRFC became weakened with the resignation of Alan Duncan. Mick Cairns had already resigned at the start of the year and the 400 club was in serious discussions with the board with a view to restructuring the board and the club in general. And then we had the 11th of April, the Irish Independent considered Rovers' plight to be of such importance that it carried a news item on the front page in which it stated that the High Court had been informed that the club's debts were at 2.36 million and Rovers' main difficulty was that it had no ground of its own and the club was paying Bohemian 60,000 a year in rent at Dalyman Park. That's what the report said. So, um, so we're going to quote from Owen Rice's book now. He says, The company was insolvent and was hemorrhaging money at an alarming rate. It was clear to everyone that the situation could not continue and the board of directors began to discuss the possibility of entering examinership. Examinership is a limited form of administration whereby a high court appointed, appointed account uh, examines the company's operation, courts potential investors, restructures its debts and then recommends to the high court whether the company has any chance of survival. Having secured a new investor, the accountant then strikes a deal with creditors, usually offering somewhere between 5 and 10 cents for every euro owed. In other words, a 2.3 million debt could be restructured into a 200,000 euro debt. So, so to explain all the lingo to everyone here. Give us your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I guess the examinership piece then was when Dave and myself uh, at an official level got involved in, in terms of the, the running of the club. So, you know, mentioned earlier the, the breakfast meetings in the Skyline. So we'd kind of go through the, the weekly cash flows, what would be required and... At the time, there was there was seven investors that were interested, uh, I guess, in in taking ownership of, of Rover. So it was never intended at that point that the fans or the the four hundred club would would try and take over the the, the club. But we would actively work with anybody that would come in. So we essentially agreed to fund the examinership process because there was considerable costs involved. Uh, I guess both from the examiner, but also the the day to day. Uh, running the club so what any monies that we put in at that point were to be covered under what was called a section 10 that we would receive back from from any investment into the into the club so i think we somewhere in the region of somewhere between 170 and 200,000 is what we had put into the club over the period of examinership now where we got it from was uh, we sold term memberships to, to fans so people could sign up for 5, 10, 15, 20 years um, and we had an agreement like I'll never forget this like when I talked earlier of the depth of feeling and what Rovers fans w- would do 
We signed up to an agreement with Bank of Ireland whereby they provide a loan facility for, for people if they wanted to take out uh, a loan for two and a half grand, which would be a five Give year straight to Rome, membership. Yeah, yeah. So would it, instead of the 40 euro a month, it would have cost them 48 euro. So never forget, we were setting up with Bank of Ireland in Wynn's Hotel on, on Abbey Street uh, to, to kind of people can come in and, and register for the, the loan application. It was at 12 o'clock. We got there at half eleven. There was a queue of forty Rovers fans yeah. waiting to take a loan out yeah. to give it to the club. Like and I think in three days we raised a quarter of a million. Yeah, like but three days. Yeah. yeah, that's the type of thing that gives you. I never heard that. Yeah, such energy. Like for you say we're doing the right thing here, you know, and we've got everybody. Be, not well, we've got almost everybody behind us, but that <laughs> really spurs you on and like. There's so many anecdotes. I remember Tommy. Tommy. Who were the opposers to this? Was the was the friends or overs? Yeah, and it, again, it was you know they're going to be running the the club from a pub type of thing, you know, and we'd no credibility really in the the was, wider term. But it was you know, funny, like I mean, because uh, you know, on the one side and on the friends or overs, like the late Jack Wilson was heavily involved in friends or overs, and yet we'd be talking to Ray all the time in Australia, <laughs> and Ray, I'd, I'd have numerous calls with Ray late night nearly when Ray would be saying I'd be told, I've told Jack he needs to get in and work with you so, you know so <laughs> it was a bit of a difficult one yeah. you know Ray was was working with us on, on our side and, and yet Did Jack was mean? yeah Jack yeah. felt that we weren't now look I mean to be fair Jack you know Jack loved Rovers and he, he thought he was doing the right thing um, and but it was uh, yeah like it, it's easy to look back now and say oh why would anybody oppose it? But like, you got to look at it in the context of the time, the information that was available, and everybody just wanted it, the best thing for all. So you had your group of people who felt like they were doing the right thing, and then possibly just another group of people who thought, well, we want, we love Rovers just as much. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. have a different approach. Different yeah, approach. Yeah. Much, yeah. We need to continue back in the board. They're doing their best. Yeah. It's, you know, you don't know what it's like, type of thing. But uh, so there's conflicting views. But ultimately, everybody wanted the the same thing. And it's funny because some people that were let's call it the opposing side of the time. They later became, you know, members on the, the board as well and very close colleagues and friends. Like so it's there was no I suppose grudges held uh, at the time. But again, you know, you had on the flip side, like I remember one time Tommy Tormy came to me in Daily Mountain, he handed me fifteen quid and this is what study saw. I couldn't make it to the, the match last week in Talca, which was an away game, so I said, Look that fifteen euro I'm giving it to the club. I remember Mark Battle they had a problem with uh, the DJ at their, their wedding, so they ended up not paying him, and his wife donated that money to the, the four from the ah, club at yeah, the time. Yeah. So you did loads of... Guys had season tickets, yeah. and they'd still pay at the game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all kinds of stuff like that. You had people to take out two memberships, and like so there was... Everybody knew like that was the time to, to really get stuck in and, yeah. and do what you could, and the offers of help and support from everybody was just like that's what motivated you and really they showed, really the, like, fan then, yeah. the they showed their true colours. And you know, when when the time came, like Rovers fans stood up and were counted, like it's you know, it really is when you, you look back at an amazing time. And I'll never forget later in the season, we we lost at home to Cork, we were in big trouble like in terms of where we were in the, the league and there was a 20 minute rendition of you know we'll never, never die, die. Remember yeah. That? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the two jerrys were there and in the meeting afterwards they said Jesus lads that was really impressive like and because everybody felt they were in it together like but like the fans wouldn't leave the stadium and then we did it was difficult to get out like and the sing song just continued like and 
everybody was real. Like, it was a really emotional time. Like, yeah. and it was, but it was again, like something had to change. Dave mentioned the kind of cost structures that were there. Like as part of the the, the examinership process, we had to go into the dressing room and say to them, "Listen, lads." You're all free to leave, you yeah. know, and yeah. if anybody wants to, or else we have to look at, at how we're going to. What was that like as regards to the players? Anybody point up, or was there an official spokesman? Well, we, or well, we Jason we, Gavin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we said, uh, we said, look, lads, if anybody wants to, you know, to get a part-time job, we can help out, you know. And he said, you get me a job, would you? I said, yeah. Well, I'm not getting a job. <laughs> Jason, no, he, he was Middlesbrough, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. But we had, we had to, as part of the examinership, we, you know, we had to honour the existing arrangements that were there. Yeah. Um, so you couldn't just come in and change it up. We right couldn't now. change it, but I mean, you know, we were, as James said, like we'd be trying to we watching every penny. We were trying to make sure that we weren't spending money unnecessarily, and yeah, yeah. it was that those. Uh, Tea and toast breakfast meetings were, were some very fraught meetings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we used to have twi- two a week, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. 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 But like um, the, the issue was seven o'clock in the morning in the Skyland Hotel. The, the issue was like the players' contracts. So they agreed with a player will give you seven hundred euro a week. Uh, but as Dave mentioned, like there was no tax or anything on that, so that had to be grossed up. So that seven hundred quickly became fourteen hundred uh, when you've got to pay the tax on it. So that's. Mm really where we got into uh, a lot of difficulties because I think the information that was given to the examiner before they, they went into examinership uh, wasn't quite what it should have been. We managed to get a look of it and said, this is complete rubbish. <laughs> the examiner, what he had to do was, was when he went yeah. in, initially he had to go back and reconstruct all the tax returns. So he had to go back Jesus. so many years and reconstruct them. And when he came to the final figure, it was <laughs> it was a tad different to yeah. what, was, what was in the account. A bit of creative uh, financing there, wasn't there? So we the 12th of April then, and Hughes Blake appointed by the High Court as examiners, Judge Peter Kelly. A steering committee of five people was appointed to run the club, and those were Neil Hughes, examiner Tony McGuire, John Breen, Dave Carpenter and James Nolan, both 400 club trustees. And it was fortunate that there was already support structure in place through the 400 club and they were able to fund and run the club through examinership when Neil Hughes went about trying to get a new owner and then we had the 13th of April the Evening Herald detailed a full list of Shamrock Rovers Bramvard Limited creditors with a total amount owed of 2.2 million for the club the revenue commissioners were stated to be owed a sum of half a million in respect of payments due for PAYE and PRSI and Sloan Park Limited were said to have been owed these are these funds you're talking about Dave uh, 923,000 and Robert's longest the creditors include players Department of Justice, Justice 15 grand Plaza Hotel 10 grand The Garda 4 grand Awell Sports Complex 4,000 and uh, various companies owe money for services such as portable toilets four state matches bus hire and, and training laundry. facilities and the laundry the was the laundry <laughs> that was the killer yeah. didn't they come out and yeah. say something didn't they yeah. yeah that was the killer I think they were all 3 grand yeah. but like that's that brought it home to a lot of people the damage that was being done like some list wasn't it Rover's name was being tarnished with you know unpaid <clears> bills being left all over the, the country I remember very famous one like Tony Ennis went to, to pay somebody and you know gave him the envelope and he was off down the road and they opened the envelope there was actually nothing in it <laughs> but he managed to keep the ball in the air by giving them an empty envelope <laughs> but having the the temerity to do something like that like it, it just shows you a chance, don't you? You <laughs> need a chance in the, in the ranks. 
With the 17th of April, the Sunday Independent, Conor mm. Clarkson, property developer, was quoted as saying that he couldn't understand why the South Dublin County Council had blocked his proposal to complete the development at the stadium. He said that under his plan, work would have begun back at the stadium on the 14th of December 2004. Clarkson said he had agreed with Mulden, who were responsible for the development of the overall site, along with Sloan Park, to take over the lease on the site. He was going to grab... Or he was going to build a pub and a leisure centre on the site to pay for the completion of the development. The council was not willing to go down this route with private developers. So a lot of those developers that were involved ended up NAMED, so that'll tell you. NAMED. Yeah. <laughs> Maguire and uh, we have McCurrens on part one. They were kind of championing Connor right to the end. Like They fully believed that he was always going to come true for this with Tata Stadium, wasn't he? Yeah, so I think the deal was he was going to invest about five and a half million to finish the stadium. Um, and he was going to put in another three or four or something to clear debts and yeah, do other so bits and pieces. And were you skeptical? Yeah, uh, like the what was the why were you skeptical? What did you did you felt it was an ulterior motive there? Obviously, yeah. Well, I guess things had gone on so long that there was zero trust. You couldn't believe a word you were being told, and like this is like just another thing and we said look uh, we have certainty with the council and that's that's the best route to go uh, but like the option with with Clarkson was that they'd pay him back after uh, seven years and it would be I think 14 percent you know yeah. per annum plus he was to get some fees of significant six-figure fees every year and I think he was also going to develop something on the side himself mm-hmm. so you could see where where his thoughts were like we only played a small part in that uh, I guess so and again we wouldn't know what would happen to the club in, in that situation so I think that the root of certainty was the, the most important is he still around Connor Craig he is yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I think he's still now he hasn't been he, well he's not involved in, in Rovers I think he's no. involved in horses and yeah stuff he was in the news recently about his horse racing yeah. activities or something yeah, so. <laughs> so we had um, the 4th of May the 400 club stage a members meeting at the Trinity College and uh, agreed to make a bid to invest in the club put a package to the examiner on the same day the FAI forced instance committee met to investigate the matters concerning Rovers license application and it come to light and heard oral submissions from board members so tell us about that meeting at Trinity College yeah again was it feisty or was it no no, no, no very emotionally charged yeah. uh, I guess wasn't feisty at all it was where we kind of that's when we announced the we whole term membership yeah piece. we laid out the plans for yeah like and you know we weren't sure what was going to happen in terms of other investors and it you know, they went from being cast on uncertainties into, well, they're a bit iffy. And you may remember, Dave, the lunchtime meeting we had with Neil Hughes and the proposal we put together, like, and saying, Lads, why didn't you do this at the start? Like, this is, it was the most impressive one. And we'd had the fortune of seeing all the other proposals. <laughs> <laughs> we had some guy who was uh, owned vineyards in France or something who wanted to, remember him? It was all sorts, oh, Brooks Moylson. Well, he, Brooks Moylson was probably the. The most realistic in the sense yeah. that he owned Gretna at the time. Mm. Um, the, the team? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brooks Moylson yeah. was worth a couple of hundred million through insurance business and he, yeah. he set up Gretna Football Club. Remember Gretna rocketed up to the first division and yeah. they played in the UEFA that was, Cup. That was his doing. And Stephen Kennedy's dairy hammered the room. He had a guy, yeah. Jim Kennedy, that worked, represents him from Newcastle, remember? And yeah, yeah. He came over for the, the famous game in Daily Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but he was the connection was through through Roddy. Uh, oh, it was when, Roddy's investor, says when um, you know when when he fell through. I remember Jonathan wrote to myself, met Roddy out in in um, the pub out in Blanchard Town, and he was like, "Oh, 
myself and Caroline were sitting down, we were going through the, you know, with the travel <laughs> magazines, you know, we are having a glass of champagne because Brooks was coming in, <laughs> you know, and a couple of days later it falls through and poor Roddy was shattered. I'd love know. to be able to fly the wall yeah. all of Roddy's meetings. I'm enjoying your Roddy impressions, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Enjoying them well, greatly. We had a lot of interaction, but like it was funny because Roddy actually got the team doing quite well up to that point, but when the Brooks Milestone piece fell down, the team started to deteriorate a bit, you know, and that's when we ended up in trouble. So uh, the next day, the day after the Trinity College meeting, 5th of May, we had Tony McGuire and Paul Boyle. They resigned from the board and John Breen and Tony Ennis remained. So Breen and Ennis, Ennis examiner Neil Hughes and the 400 trustees, James Dolan and James Carpenter, uh, were five people who made up the steering committee who was formed to run the club during the examinership. So straight after your Trinity College meeting, two people Dave resigned. Carpenter obviously there. Yeah. Uh, what was that? So obviously two people that weren't happy enough with it. So what happened there? Well, they resigned from the, the board. So Tony and or Tony had that got anything to do with the Trinity College meeting? Not no. specifically. No. no, no. Like they they had to kind of they knew their time was up at that stage, yeah. so they had to, to move on. And then we had the 6th of May, the day after that, Paddy McCart's hat-trick against Bray Wanderers had the fans on their feet as the Dirty Man displayed a unique talent that was reminiscent of his fellow countryman George Best during the latter's career at Manchester United. So we'll have a break from the off-field stuff and tell us about the hat-trick. Did you see it in the flesh? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I was underneath the stand with uh, uh, 20 accountants from... Uh, <laughs> From Neil Hughes' office doing the, the cash reconciliation and all you could hear was the feet jumping up and down above you. And something to tell the grandkids. And yeah. it's something that's actually, it's rare that it actually exists on, on video. So if anyone oh, Trevor hasn't reaction. seen that hat-trick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to be fair, like, I mean, McCourt was, was something else. He's one of my favourite players for, you know, Rovers, the talent he had, the skill he had. Yeah. Um, and to be fair to him, you know, when... He he was a great club man for hours. Lots of people don't realise this, but when you know we we took the club out of examinership and we had, you know we only had a certain budget, and the court came to us and said to us, uh, "I'd love to stay, but I know you don't have the money to keep me." He said, "So, you know, if it's okay, I'll move on." Yeah, um, yeah, and he went off to Derry. Yeah, um, and, for, and like he was, was he one of Roddy's? Uh, yeah, 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 Roddy yeah. Came, yeah. Yeah, again, Roddy. He discovered him from everything under the sun. He discovered him. Scored him. Northern Ireland international. He, brought, he did bring him back from England. I think uh, he had troubled enough time over there. I remember one of the, the meetings to Roddy. He said, uh, "When this guy opens his legs, you're going to see what he's all about." Like, <laughs> so, three hundred men <laughs> got the joke. <laughs> but in fairness, he he did it for us that year. Like he was, yeah, he was excellent, like, yeah. and and he was one of the few that actually understood the situation and, yeah. and got it. Like it was was mature about takes a certain type of individual doesn't it yeah, I think yeah. it's kind of lost on footballers nowadays that I think all they care about is the few quid in their pockets sometimes and they don't really know what it is they don't know the, the, the dedication that goes, goes to into running a club so aside from like magical moments like that with so much of great significance happening off the pitch was the football almost becoming a sideshow at this point Uh at that stage, no, because was there expectations, or was it just focused on keeping the club alive? You know, yeah, like the the suppose the match was a relief uh, almost because you, so much was going on during the week in terms of everything else. Like it was that was your release, yeah, like yeah, you yeah. know, your that's the reason you're doing it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like at that stage, you're still able to to maybe have a drink before the match, you know. And Dave might be doing an interview with with RTE. And I remember, it was on the 
we were watching it in the hut, like Dave is, you know, doing an interview <laughs> on the, the 6.30 news and he's coming over for the game then. So it's, uh, the games were still good because you got to see everybody, people wanted to know what was going on and, and you know, the results were patchy, <clears throat> uh, but we got a good run going. So that actually helped with the... To be fair, like, I mean, we, we, we had a half-decent team. Like, I mean, the team wasn't as bad as, as, as it, the way we ultimately ended up. Um, the, the squad was obviously a bit thin. Um, but for some reason, like you know, they they played for sixty, seventy minutes, and they'd be as good as anybody in the park. Yeah, yeah, and then the last twenty minutes, they just collapsed. And that got to do with the with the culture at the time of too cans. Much, too much bingo. Yeah, <laughs> too much bingo. Uh, slabs of cans on the on the, on the bus. Yeah, like in the culture was wrong. Like because you remember that game in Finn Harps, Dave, when yeah. they approached us to for two hundred euro for fish and chips for the players for the way home. Like I mean, fish and chips, not ready. Yeah, not the type <laughs> of nutrition you need to be having. And then, like, we're seeing them putting a slab of cans onto the, you know, the bus on the way home. And you're like, fuck's sake, <laughs> you know, it's... I hope your uh, past Scuddy stories are just as good. <laughs> okay, so, Friday the 13th of May. The FEI First Instance Committee reconvened to consider irregularities in Shamrock application for a licence for the 2005 season. These irregularities came to light when the club was forced to go into examinership. Licence was withdrawn and the club suffered a deduction of eight points. However, it was decided to permit Shamrock Rovers to continue in league and cup competitions for the remainder of 2005. And then Rovers paid pats that week and managed to chip one point off the deficit down to down to seven. Um, the 20th of May. Uh, the financial crisis of the club saw the exit of goalkeeper Russell Payne and Roddy Collins was forced to hand the debut to 19-year-old Barry Murphy for a league game against Warwick at Denimon Park. Murphy had graduated from the ranks of Shamrock Rovers schoolboys and was happy to keep a clean sheet in his first ever game for the senior team. So Barry Murphy's debut. Significant moment on the pitch there. Uh, 24th of June saw the collapse of the Moylson Quigley bid, uh, an alternative bid for the club and stadium development, which had been supported by Roddy Collins. Tell us a bit about this. Can you remember any funny stories about this? Because Roddy, any, any of these Roddy stories just crack me up. He's such a character. So where when did you know of the collapse of the Moylson Quigley bid? The Quigley bid was one point five million, wasn't it? And ours was was it half million? Yeah. So again, like the the details are a bit sketchy about when it actually collapsed. But I think one of the their big interests was around the whole merchandise piece, and you know they came over to meet us. They had samples of kit for the the following season and, and stuff like that. But the they did seem to be uh, interested. They did seem to to want to invest in it. And as Dave mentioned earlier, like Brooks or, or Brooks, as he was uh, known yeah, to Brooks. us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he had a, a big track record of investing, not just in Gretna, but I think in a number of, of Scottish non-league clubs as well. So so the track record uh, <coughs> was there. I guess we were always wary of, of, you know, who was going to be, I suppose, representing the club and owning the club after... I guess what had happened because a big thing for us as we went through the examinership is that we were helping to rebuild the brand and the name of the <coughs> football club because there was a lot of very positive uh, PR and kudos we were getting out of, of things because it went from the lunatics are running the asylum to actually these guys seem to know what they're doing to yeah, an extent. Well, so Paul Island wrote a piece in the Herald at the time and said, are these the most dangerous men in Irish football? <laughs> what? <laughs> 
Wow. No, well, because of the way we looked at things and the way we were trying to restructure yeah, the club. Yeah, because of different approach. We weren't afraid to, to shake things up. We weren't coming from the establishment as it would have been at the time. And, and you know, we were certainly ruffling some feathers because, you know, we'd go to, to various meetings at the clubs and we'd speak our minds, you know, and, and these guys would all be looking at us, you know, very warily, uh, I suppose. And, and even, I remember... Like Rovers had a, a very bad reputation for for all sorts of stuff in those days. There was um, it's kind of carried on in yeah. <laughs> So there was the Satanta Cup final that year was Linfield and, and Shelburne, but there was trouble at the game. And and a man said, yeah. Shells released a statement that it was uh, that it was Rovers fans. <laughs> yeah, isn't everything? Yeah. My radio interview with with yeah, yeah. So we released a statement. Actually, it was the twenty seventh. Is there of, still audio on it? Do you think we'd be able to get our hands on it? I'm sure, you could if you could. delved into the archives. Yeah. It was around the twenty sixth or twenty seventh yeah. of May, so it was around this date. Uh, we released a statement um, because, again, what we did is we said we can't be having this. We knew there was no Rovers fans involved, so we spoke to the guards in Santry. We spoke to the, the company that ran security. They confirmed no Rovers fans involved. There were some green and white jerseys, could have been Celtic. Uh, that was the giveaway, you know, if somebody was going to be causing trouble from Rovers, they wouldn't be wearing a green and white jersey. That would be so wearing yeah. <laughs> like just to wind them up. Like. So we released a statement uh, and got a lot of a lot of traction. Uh, Ollie Bourne wasn't happy. He rang Neil Hughes, said he was going to sue him, sue the 400 clubs, sue Dave, <laughs> sue myself, and sue everybody. Uh, but like that was the type of thing that we were that was very important to us. Like we had done so much work to try and rebuild the club, even in that short space of time, we weren't gonna let anybody come out and and Tanches, take our bad name. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, that was always at the forefront of our mind in terms of who was gonna be coming into the club to make sure that that momentum and that positive image and, and name continued. So, but it's funny then on, on the Ollie side, because uh, even though we were going to, to war with him on that, and then it came up in various meetings and, you know, we demanded full retractions and all that kind of stuff. Part of the reason that we got through the examinership is that we had an agreement with Santry Stadium to play there the following year, that you wouldn't be giving your rivals the money was a big thing for the, the judge. We didn't really have an intention of uh, of playing there, but Ollie came to our rescue. He met us and said, you can play, play in, in Tolkien next year. He charged us a lot less than uh, the, the bowls were charging yeah. us. It wasn't... For our benefit, it was there was real bitterness between shells and bowls at the time. It was to get at bowls essentially. It was to deprive them of revenue stream. And, he, the, yeah, 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 actually, he cared <laughs> so little about the rent he was going to be getting from us. That money was going straight to Pat Fellin and the squad for it was about forty grand to do. Well, they wanted, yeah, yeah, and it wasn't just chips <laughs> plus his bar receipts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So we'll just jump back to that uh, eight points deductions we mentioned earlier. It was because we submitted the 2003 accounts rather than the more up-to-date uh, 2005 accounts. So Chairman Maguire insisted it was just a simple mistake, but then allegations began to service that the club had essentially conned the FEI into grant- granting them a licence. The FEI demanded Maguire's re- resignation, and they got it. So, Dave, your theory on this, was it a simple mistake? As yeah. a... As a an accountant yourself. <laughs> very, difficult, very, very difficult to make a mistake like that. <laughs> um, you know, as I said before, like we had pursued the board on various corporate governance issues and we'd put their auditors in that on notice as well too in relation to 
accounts and and uh, and filing of accounts or lack of filing of accounts. Um, but obviously, you know, somebody had pulled the wool over over the FAI's licensing arrangements, and to be, you know. The licensing arrangements are probably a bit more stringent now. I mean, they were in their infancy in those days and somebody obviously didn't pay too much attention to them at the time for whatever reason. But mm. um, unfortunately, it cost us a... When it came became public... How uh, sickening was that to, to lose eight points over well, something that wasn't was your own fault? Yeah, that was that tough. Was, that was a kick in the nuts, know, really. You know. And there's absolutely no way of overturning that even though it wasn't your fault? No, we, we'd appealed. We, we appealed we'd, written to the yeah. license, we'd written to them and asked to make representations about, you know, what we'd done in, uh, as supporters in terms of supporting the club and bringing it through examinership and you know um, it was a historical it was a legacy issue and it wasn't our, our yeah. issue but you know ultimately it cost us but like we were more or less told listen lads you need to drop this yeah. you're lucky you're still playing, playing football that was yeah. pretty much Take it, it on yeah. the yeah. you should yeah. actually be and the eight I don't know the ins and outs of why was it eight points. What, what was the? How did they come up with that? I think that's more or less what we had. I think we, <laughs> I think we had nine Scrap points. Everything. Yeah, eight points was a weird one, but they couldn't. They didn't want to bring us down to minus uh, points. Yeah. I guess I think we might have had nine. And I think we had nine or something. Yeah. So we something. ended up with one point. Fifteenth yeah. um, of July, a critical but beneficial meeting of creditors took place in Dublin. There was a lot of goodwill shown by the creditors towards Shamrock Rovers, even though the debt payout in some cases was likely to come to just 2%, a record state low. Players who were owed money received two-thirds of the amounts, and some players waived the money that was due to them altogether. So this is just a... Brian Shelley, one of those? So the players got, as part of the scheme of range, they got 66%, 66%, but a lot of the other creditors waived. So we had discussions about waiving what they were all because it was a pittance, and the idea was that that money would be used then to bolster the players so they would get 100%. Right. So um, I don't recall any players actually waiving no. <laughs> the money that was owed to them. The, cr- so. the critical piece in all of that was getting the revenue on site. Yeah. Um, because the revenue were owed so much money and the revenue yeah. could have busted us. And I'd, uh, I'd a pretty... But big, like you said, it would have been bad PR for them. It's not... They were willing to discuss and... and well, what, and we need, out. what we needed... We didn't need... We didn't need the revenue to vote in favour of the examinership. We needed... The, or the arrangement. We needed the revenue to be neutral. Not oppose it. Not oppose yeah, it. Yeah. So I had a pretty good contact in, in, in... Senior contact in the revenue and got me in front of the right people in the revenue and managed to have a discussion with them before... It, it came into the, yeah, into yeah. the court okay, okay. and basically said look you know if you bust us you get nothing but if you support us you know basically you in the future you you know, you're going to get money back because we're going to employ people in the, yeah. into the future and you'll, you'll, you'll earn it back that way so at the end of the day the revenue um, took a, a neutral view on it and didn't oppose the the examinership and that was that was a key thing and as James said the other key element was the players getting sorted but I mean they they didn't fare too badly yeah. you know in the mm. sense that they got 66% yeah um, yeah and ultimately I think it, it got built up to the 100% for the players so uh, with the, the other creditors were waiving their, their small amounts that they were going to get yeah so we had the uh, 18th of July well first of all later that day uh, we played Derry at Damien Park and I searched your name online, Dave, and I found a picture of you on Sportsfile addressing the crowd at halftime. So, do you remember what you said? This is a rallying cry, was it, Dave? Well, no, it was just that this was, you know, it was their club. Uh, you know, we'd all stood together. We'd saved the club. Um, 
you know, and it was time for us all to, to come together and, and, and try and build, build out the future. Before that game, I'd, I'd met Jack Wilson. Uh, Jack was, was president of the club um, and uh, he'd said to me before the match, he shook hands and he said, I said, uh, it looks like you won, you know, and uh, best of luck. And I said, Jack, I said, we're all Rovers. I said, you know, it was, um, I said, you love Rovers as much as I love Rovers. Yeah. I said, as far as I'm concerned, you're still a president of the club. You know, we just need to, to move on. We just, we had different views. And, yeah. and that was it, you know, and, and Jack stayed, stayed as president. Um, you know, and as James said earlier, we had different approaches to... to and the club should be run. Yeah, and how, how we thought we should get there, you know. So at the end of the day, it was, it was the yeah. fans that saved the club. Yeah, but even to get to that point, like the, <clears throat> I don't know, Dave, if you recall, like the, we really tough negotiations with the, the examiner in terms of the money because obviously... He had to get his fees. Yeah, this, the fees were pretty significant um, because it obviously became a lot more complicated than they'd originally thought. Any of the investors that were coming in were would have been putting in a lot more money. So he didn't think it had any chance of, of getting through the courts. Um, but we we had to really negotiate them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, that it must was, have been very disheartening. Yeah, like, but, it was well, the lowest well, settlement. So at the we, time in history, yeah. We were looking at a scenario where he was he was threatening us uh, that the club would be put into liquidation. So I'm not even bringing this to the to the court. Um, so we were examining then ways could we buy the brand from the the liquidator? Could we, you know, restart it and not retain you know the the debts, the everything like yeah. that. So we didn't want to go down that route because we wanted to maintain the integrity of the the club mm. in terms of its existence, even though. All you're really talking about is the different holding companies that sit behind uh, that sit behind the club. But the negotiations were really, really tough uh, with the examiner in terms of us getting him to come down on his fees and forcing him into the situation where he would go to creditors and say, you're going to get 2% back on preferential creditors such as the revenue, get their 4%. And that's what Dave is talking about. We had a lot of background discussions with different stakeholders and people to make sure that the there wouldn't be opposition voices in, in, in the court on the day. So thankfully it went it went quite well. So much work, work going on behind the scenes, it really is, isn't and it? We're helped by the fact that the, the judge was a was a football fan too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does help, doesn't it? A self-confessed Bowes fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agree, justice Frank Clark. Yeah. yeah, the Chief Justice now he is, yeah. 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 So the 18th of July, the time had come for the High Court to examine the work of the examiner and bring the process to an end. Would the 400 Club bid be successful. So, 28th of July, the High Court approved the agreement reached between Hughes Blake, Shamrock Growers, and the Revenue Commissioners, whereby the revenue would accept the sum of 40,000 as full payment in place of the 500,000 euro, all by the deal. club. Mr. Justice Frank Clark, Bolsvan, was satisfied that the plan going forward was viable and the examinership process was about to come to an end, with the new owners, the 400 Club, about to take ownership of the club. The 400 Club was assisted in their bid by Hoops fan Ray Wilson who initially purchased a 50% stake in the club on the basis that over a number of years he would be bought back out. The new board of SRFC consisted of Noel Byrne, Jonathan Roach, James Nolan, Mark Lynch, Thomas Rain, John Byrne, Eamon Keenan, David Carpenter and Ray Wilson. So when this decision was handed down, were you was it in the courtroom and were you? It was a great photograph. Yeah. 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 Is it yeah. coming out big smile on his face? I think I was away when it happened. Yeah. I think that was actually the. Oh, was that the GAA? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. So it was, it was funny because we had 
a big, big press conference lined up uh, afterwards. Do you remember this day? I think, wasn't it? No, we did one uh, in, there was a pub in town. The, the, it was one of the first craft breweries in, in Dublin. Remember we had the upstairs of that? Um, the Porterhouse? Yeah, yeah. The, but nobody turned up because it was, uh, I think, the IRA ceasefire or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> something happened around that. Some other minor events. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, we wouldn't know what was going on in, in the real world, but there was very little, uh, very few journalists turned up to that. Uh, but it was it was a euphoric moment for us. Like, remember, like, remember a few Sherry's hands. Remember reading the, the statement that John Bourne put together. Like John is a tremendous uh, writer, like and a real asset again to, to have in the club. But the the press release that he still uh, represents that, Rovers, even when he's on the telly, he has his Ultras T-shirt on every time <laughs> yeah. I see him, and, and he has something Rovers. Yeah, you, you should take time to read that statement because when you read it, like it just brings so yeah. much back uh, around the time. But part of the problem then was. <laughs> We were on our own. Uh, like in fairness to Ray, like Ray obviously came in and, and stumped up like fifty percent of the the cash, which enabled us not just to get through the examinership process, but I think I think three hundred twenty five grand is what we ultimately had to, to pay over, and then we had another hundred twenty five grand into the kitty to get through to the end of the season and mm. and, and, and we on. We a, a lot more cash in the examinership than we thought. Yeah, you know, like like it, it depends the process. Yeah, well, it went on longer than it was originally envisaged, you know. So, mm. and because essentially it was going to be another investor coming in, the examiner didn't want to cut the costs at the time. Mm. Whereas if if the the preordained plan was we were coming in to take over, we could have done a lot more about reducing the costs and conserving our cash. However, we had to keep paying at the the top level for for everything, <sighs> uh, level. which meant that. It was really, really difficult. Uh, but like the names that were mentioned there as being part of the first board, like there's still a good core uh, that are involved today. This we've had ten people rotating out of the board over the the years, and again, like it's it's great to have people like that with that type of experience. May not be involved directly. Uh, they can touch base with bounce ideas off. So the likes of Dave, like is is somebody you can always speak to about. Look, we're thinking of. Of this, what's your opinion? And you say yeah. you're daft, or, yeah. or you know, people that will tell you things straight. And it's, it's great to have that that type of perspective, and it's really stood to us. Uh, I think so. It's having a good core group there involved that still have that kind of passion and, and, and want to do things a, a little bit differently, and people that are coming in with new and, and fresh ideas, and then building out that group in terms of people that you can you can speak to about stuff. So. Uh, so we had Rovers that we survived but we weren't in tally yet and 24th of September Dirty knocked Rovers out of the FAO Cup quarter finals at the Brandywell Rovers manager Roddy Collins was sent out the dugout and um, the amazement of the home supporters of the Hoos fans saying cheerio cheerio as Collins made his way to the stand so is there any memories of this is a big smile on your face James <laughs> yeah like that <laughs> so you know out of the frying pan into the fire so like the team so had you had to actually deal with the everyday going yeah. ons of a club now like the, the team all that had, struggle you had to get straight back into it they've done really well to recover from the 8 point deduction and they were I think we'd won 4 or 5 in a row yeah yeah we had kind of on a good run yeah. and I think remember we beat Bowles in, in Daily Mount uh, towards the end of August and remember like in, in those days everybody was corralled out and marched into town whether you liked it or, or not uh, remember Roddy ringing me um, when we were on the, the way into town around the matter and he was looking for money or, or something, but all he could hear was cheering in the background. And 
he obviously thought we were just going with the lash, but we'd no choice but to, to go and it kind of went downhill from there. Like stuff started coming out in the papers, you know. Roddy would do different things, like you know, he had some issues with with our kit manufacturers at the time. Um, you know, who would that have been? Would that have been Umbro? Umbro. Umbro. So when he knew the press were coming out to do uh, to film training, he'd have the team kitted out in non Umbro gear. <laughs> <laughs> so He's unbelievable. If you had a letters from yeah. Umbro, and, you know. and you're getting a call like at half ten. So funnily enough, it says here the fans torn against uh, Rod Start and his relationship with the board strain from day one. I think it was strain quite. It, was, it actually it was strained anyway, wasn't it? It was strained at the start. Things worked quite well for a while, and then it just started to deteriorate. Uh, I think. I think to, to be fair to to him, like I mean, you know, they give him loads of bad press. I mean, he was in a unique position. Nobody, no yeah. manager had ever been in that position before. True. You know, and then and you look at it, and he looks at us and he thinks, Jesus, you're just a bunch of fucking football fans. What do you know about the game? As and, regards, and to be fair to him, he had. He was. He, he was right. He had a point to an extent. Yeah, yeah of course he? he had. You know, w- you know, we didn't know anything about how how you ran a, a professional football club. Yeah. You know, we we had ideas. We 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 knew how the business model should work, and we had to put we had to impose the business model on the club. Yeah. For just not the day to day running for the club to survive yeah. and prosper. You know. Yeah, like it, it's little things. Like so, Roddy would be busting our chops about getting new gear, but obviously it was quite expensive, right? And we didn't understand the psychological piece for players. When they come into training to have brand new training yeah, kit, yeah. what it does for them, for their mental, that's not something you you kind of have ever thought about. And in fairness to Roddy, like he was kind of teaching us this stuff, but we didn't we didn't want it to be taught. Yeah. And it's funny because Brooks Moylson came back in after we'd taken over uh, to have discussions about getting involved. And I think when he saw what we we paid, like it was like. Like looking at the fella who's just bluffed you in poker, he couldn't believe what we'd end up uh, paying, and he wanted to then get involved and, and take over. And I think that's where the relationship with Roddy really started to go downhill yeah, yeah. because that didn't work out. He got sent off against Derry, and nobody could understand why uh, he was suspended for the Pats match. Um, which coincidentally there was a white collar boxing match on that night that he was participating. And in, did he so. turn up at the game? He, well, he, he did, but left early. He left early. Jesus, he, that's bad form now. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll say you don't have to, but it is bad form. White collar boxing. So it was, there was that type of stuff that was going on. And again, after we'd been put through, like we, we just weren't happy with that situation. And so, Roddy, while all the hard work was going on off the pitch, you guys were busting your own chops to keep Rovers alive. Roddy was just dealing with the football side of things, or did he give a dig out as regards to helping the clubs survive? So, his dig out was to try and get Brooks back in because he didn't want to, to be working for a club run by us uh, I guess and also he wanted, he, he wanted the maximum he could get on, by way of a budget on the pitch so yeah. that's understandable you on know, a holiday but, yeah. Yeah, but we, <laughs> we were obviously constrained by, fi- by finances yeah. we won't mention the car either will we no <laughs> so the, the 11th of November the final game of the season finished 2 all and a draw at home to UCD so Rovers uh, won only one of the last eight games and would now have to face a fourth division runners up Dublin City FC in a two-legged playoff for the honour of staying up did uh, Killian Brennan play in that Dublin City team he was I with them at least not that season oh, no, 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 Dermot Keeley was man yeah. probably shorter than his own post career was <laughs> and uh, it's the 16th November the new board entered I did, I, I did actually just going back to that, Go I did on. an interview on 
was it RTA or something with Keeley before the game and Keeley had to be fair to him he Keeley never had even though he was captain of the four in a row team and that like he, he never really he was never really a Rovers he was man. never Rovers was he no and still isn't now we call he it never understood he never understood the impact losing Milltown had on Rovers um, but it before that, when I was doing a TV interview with him, like he, he put his hand up and he admitted, he said, "Look, I made a big mistake." He said, "I never backed the wrong horse." Well, he yeah, he did, and he said, "Look, he said I never realised the fans were so attached to the ground and the impact it had in the club." Um, but there we were in Talca, which we were told was the stadium of the future. Yeah, the night in '87. <laughs> there you are, the Dublin City and Talca's in ruins. But anyway. So we the 16th of November the new board entered unprecedented territory when they imposed a suspension on manager Roddy Collins. So we're getting into the thick of it now. Former keeper and regular attendee at Hoops, Alan O'Neill was asked to take charge of the team for the playoff games and Alan O'Neill spoke about this on the show in depth and he said he was sitting in an office <laughs> and he was trying to find a goalkeeper days before the playoff. Yeah. The relegation playoff. He's sitting in, a, in, a, in his work office and he's trying to find a goalkeeper yeah, to play in the most important game of the history of the hoops at that time. Can you imagine that? Baz got injured yeah. and then John Blake came in and he made a howler. So he wasn't going to play him either. And he had to find a goalkeeper. Can you imagine the madness? I really, it's just, it's insane to but think the, the that someone is looking for a goalkeeper on the eve even of a relegation playoff. No, I think it was some former GA. He was, it was, yeah. He spoke about it. It's a great episode. So if you haven't heard it, definitely check it out. Alan O'Neill's episode was brilliant and he spoke at length about it. And um, so talking about the suspension and how all that. Could Tell be. us about that. That decision was made. Uh, wasn't taken lightly. Uh, wasn't taken well, as you can imagine either. And so the, 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 who informed them of his suspension? Was it by phone, letter, or was it in face to face? Was it face to face? Face to face. Yeah. And who, who, um, who did that? I think it was Jonathan that delivered the letter. Jonathan alone, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was Jonathan that, that did it. Were you in agreement about this decision? Was anyone sort of thinking, no, we should leave Roddy in, let him try and it keep us up? It wasn't something that was taken lightly because, I mean, you know, uh, given where we were, we had two games with a week basically to try and save ourselves. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people would maybe say we made the wrong call. Um, Suspend Roddy? Yeah, maybe we did, but, um, you know, we did what we thought was in the best interest yeah. of the club at the time. Um, Either way, we'd have, we'd have had to rebuild it. We had to rebuild the team anyway, yeah. and and, yeah. and as it turned out, you know, probably yeah. probably going down. You know, nobody ever wants to get relegated, but probably going down was 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 uh, was the start of a new beginning. And a lot of people, you know, have said this to me before, and yeah. so we why? came back stronger with with a, a new team, a younger yeah. team, and uh, yeah, like I mean. The depth of feeling at the time was such that it allowed us to survive a relegation. You can imagine now, like if we're always with the relegation. <laughs> to be run out, you know. But <laughs> the, club, down the club was able to survive and thrive. And again, it was, the momentum was with us, even if, you know, the results on the pitch didn't didn't go our way. And, you know, the couple of seasons in Talca and fairness, Pat Scully was great when he came in. Like he brought uh, a Him squad of 40 yeah. players. But I mean, we could have even stolen that. <laughs> The, the the second game in Talca, like mm. you know, was was it? Derek, Derek hit the, the twenty second of November. Yeah. Rovers lost two one uh, yeah. at home to Dublin City in the fourth leg at Dalymount Park, 
And then uh, three days later, despite dominating the second leg of the playoff at Tolga Park, the Hoops could only imagine one one draw. Dublin City and will have to face life in the fourth division for the following season. And shock and disbelief followed the final. And nice friends in D seven turned up to support. Oh, yeah, they majority of the crowd were Pats, Balls and Shelburne fans yeah, there was, the same minority was, were Rovers fans it was a huge Rovers had the Riverside it was a huge Rovers crowd there but the other side of the ground was all yeah, Balls had a Balls. brown yeah. trouser night yeah. event in Daily Mount that night as well so yeah <laughs> but you know what these are the things you have to remember yeah. but I think it could what, be 20 years but you still got to remember I, my, one of my abiding memories after that night was we went into the dressing room to talk to the players and we were all like everybody was just Shock. Yeah, yeah. Nobody. Everybody was very emotional. Nobody could really talk. We went off up to was it the Ivy Pub up opposite the, the Skyline? Cage, wasn't it? No, it was the, the one up. It was the yeah. Ivy. I think it's called, isn't it? Opposite the, yeah, the Skyline. Yeah. And players rocked up, and I'll never forget one player in particular. I can't believe the players actually went to the pub. Yeah, this. one player rocked. One player in particular. Well, it did. It, it, it ended early. <laughs> one player in particular turned around and said. Oh, can't understand what all the fuss is about. It's only a game. You for real? Yeah. I'm sure you got the head boxed off. Yeah. <laughs> Just Two tables and the Four rearrangements. Just jump back a second. Uh, why the choice of Alan O'Neill? Had it anything to do with the fact that he managed us briefly before in the 90s and actually did quite well? Because was it a, was it a move had, of convenience? He'd been out of the game since then. He'd been out of the game mm. nearly 10 years. Again, it came down to trust. I guess we knew Alan, and yeah. you know we knew that that to be doing it for the right reasons. Because, like again, bringing anybody into a football club is a is a big risk. So Alan was somebody we knew that we could trust. We knew Alan knew all about the history, tradition, what it meant, um, and mm. what we felt we needed was a safe pair of hands. Uh, excuse the point. <laughs> I love keeper. it. <laughs> but, that's <laughs> that was the the big thing for us, you know, um, because we were. We even though we had massive support from everybody, you feel very isolated in, in those type of situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So having the comfort of somebody that that you know has the respect of the football club at, at heart is is very important. Yeah. So we then had shock and disbelief followed the final whistle and grown men were seen crying as the crowd filtered out of the ground. Rugby Collins gave Dublin City the lead, but veteran Derek Tracy got the men in green and white back on level terms soon after. And the small band of Dublin City fans celebrated in the main stand. I wonder where they are now. The, 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 the Vikings, was it? I think they're still on foot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the Hoops fans drifted out of ground, told disbelief. And matters uh, came to this for once a famous club dominated Irish soccer, soccer for decades had been relegated. So did relegation give the new board some breathing room? And was it a fresh start? We spoke briefly on that recently. But um, do you think it was a fresh start, yeah? It was certainly a fresh start because it allowed us to clear out the dressing room. Pat Scully brought in a lot of discipline, a different mentality, different approach into the club. And, but and more importantly, operated to a, to a budget yeah. that we could afford. Yeah. yeah, which was pretty good for the, the first division. But like again, when you look back at, at stuff and the you know the historical context is important. But I don't think there was any breeding space. You know, he was oh, you went to the first division, allowed you to regroup. The pressure in the first yeah. it was unbelievable. The first match we played Dundalk. against the Dock, and there was a big crowd there. Very young team. We went one 0 down. I remember just saying to myself, "We just need to win this match. I don't care what happens in the next mm. five matches." But just and in fairness, the team rallied. I don't know how we did it. Got twice the, in the last five minutes or something. Didn't we? Got the late winner, and it was just that helped set us up. I think for the, the season. But like 
you look what's happened to other clubs that have been relegated. They oh, just the can't get out of there. Yeah, yeah. Um, One of your more enjoyable seasons. It was some great trips. Uh, oh, was, uh, <laughs> were you were you part of the famous Con Air? Uh, no, we were we were down there. I think from the the night before, but uh, it was very funny. Uh, they were doing some redevelopment work in the the basement of the hotel, um, and there was a lot of pots of paint that were <laughs> used that night to repaint the yeah. the whole basement for them. Koh yeah. everywhere. Yeah, it was, that was cold. Was an incredible night down there, yeah, yeah. wasn't it? Like it was really. I think really we, amazing day of the game. I think we flew down about four plane loads down to Cove yeah. for that. But the, yeah. the the worst thing for us was Dundalk were playing. I think Finn Harps in their last match, and we were neck and neck, um, and their match was postponed. So it mm. meant if we, even though we were ahead, there was still the chance they could peg us back on goal difference if we didn't if we didn't draw. I think it was down there. So. We could have had to wait to get promoted till they actually played our match, even though it was going to be. Chauvinard Park so again, it was a, it was a last late late winner, I think, or equaliser. We had an end of season party in the Gaiety. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was a Philly Hughes. It was the Dundalk centre forward at the time. He'd yeah. given big Philly, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Fat Philly, as they yeah. call him. Someone had given uh, Philly had given somebody on the Rowers team John Gill's number. And all the lads are ringing them up, all the players. Because yeah. Gill had been going on about rowers, a young side, the pressure to get to them and everything. So they were ringing Gill up saying, John, John, pressure's for tires. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we jumped and Roach and Talatoin, the prof's book. Don't forget, it's available in the shop. Quick plug for your prof. And I remember when Allborn had to give up his job and took the big plunge when we took over as we needed someone full-time as general manager Mark Lynch Rovers, Rovers marketing officer gave us a desk in Visium where he worked and we used our boardroom for the odd meeting that is now we, how we operate in the first year we regrouped and we got great support from John Lyons James Nolan and Dave Carpenters and other who were not on the board so we had so many hurdles to jump apart from being relegated we had to deal with the FAI build relationships and uh, with the South Dublin County Council as well so the 30th of November with Roddy Collins' contract having been terminated by the board. Pat Scully was announced as the manager of Shamrock Rovers at a press conference staged in the D4 venue in Dublin City Centre. So uh, how did the procurement uh, situation go with Scully? How did you go about getting him in? Why was he the man for the job? He'd done very well uh, with Kilkenny the, the previous season. Again, with a, a lot of unknown players, a very small budget. We just felt... That that type of discipline, that experience in the first division, being able to work, you know, with players and bring them through was was what we needed. So we did a couple of meetings uh, with Pat uh, before he agreed to come in because Pat being Pat, like he wanted cast iron guarantees that you know we could pay the wages and, mm. and do certain things. So again, like when you talk about breathing space, there wasn't any. I think our budget was... It's 100 miles an hour, isn't it? Yeah, it was about 10 grand uh, a week or something along those lines. So it was, again, a pretty significant amount to have to find every every week to, to pay the players. So again, but when you're surrounded by people of the calibre, the likes of Mark Lynch and John Roach, and you know, you have that confidence to go and do what we were doing. And I think, again, Pat would have been wary about getting involved with us because we were still the fans yeah. uh, to everybody at, at that point but I think post a couple of meetings he began to get a, a good sense of, of comfort and I think a key thing was we managed to get a, a pre-season trip to Spain organised and, and when 
I guess managers see that you're willing to invest and have that type of, of ability to do things like the like a big bond and trust uh, mm. grows that way. But but Pat was the perfect man for us at, at the time. I think too, like I mean, Scully always talked about the cup final against Derry in two thousand and two, where you know Rovers wrapped up track like tracksuits mm. and everything, mm. and Scully went nuts. Yeah. He said he, like he threw his medal away afterwards, and it just. I, I, I don't think his experience, his previous experience with Rovers was um, was what he felt it should have been. Yeah. You know, so in that sense, he, he was also a little bit wary, as James said. So, um, but there's no doubt he, he certainly brought a, a, a different uh, mentality and, and professionalism <laughs> to the club. And, yeah. You know. With, uh, right, so December 12th, we had the council adopted a recommendation by the Tala Area Committee that the pitch at the stadium be enlarged to cater for Gaelic games and other sports and the TAC had been lobbied by groups other than Rovers who now saw a golden opportunity to prevent and what they saw as a soccer-only stadium being built on the site. The resolution adopted by the council included proposals to increase the size of the pitch from 100 by 80 to 140 by 85, effectively enabling senior GAA games to be played at the venue. Also, the size of the dressing rooms had to be increased to cater for senior GAA teams, a provision to increase the length to the stands to supplement the new pitch and the dimensions were proposed. The council was under no illusions that such a restructured development could only proceed with significant financial backing from the Department of Arts, Sports and Tourism. So this must have been a total kick, let's be honest, kick in the bollocks on top of everything that has been going on, the relocation, with everything you... I can only imagine, how, how do you just keep going? It's, I mean... This so much was so much weight on your shoulders, and then this comes along. Yeah, already with the relegation, we're <laughs> keeping the club alive, and then this happens. Yeah, it's. I think when you're in the thick of it, you just get on with it. You, you said, know? "Oh, yeah, it's another challenge. We're we're right in the thick of it anyway. Yeah, what more can you throw this type thing?" And as I said earlier, like the the kind of depth of feeling that was out there, you knew you had the support of people, and you knew like when you're standing up in a meeting in Trinity College, you know, and you're talking to a couple of hundred people that you know, you've got that full back and like yeah. that gives you great I suppose great desire. Uh, and really like you could run through brick walls those days. Like you do whatever had to be done and again the lobbying that went on with the different councillors like around that, like it's it was huge work, not just by ourselves, but a lot of different people within the club. Like there's there's obviously far too many to name, but like everybody wanted to get a say and everybody was working in that direction. So mm. That's what kept you going, I think. Well, then it became sort of public enemy number one, so it was an yeah. easy focus in, in one respect in terms of like the fans knew what we were up against um, and knew what we were trying to do. So it was one for all, all for one, basically. Yeah. And um, and that's what we think. That's what of adversity probably brought you all together as well, where you thought, you know, it's just us against the world. Mm. And it, did that create a bond? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like we were at war. Yeah. Like we're still at war in many ways, like and you have to have that that burning desire to, mm. to push things on because like once you relent on that, like you end up going backwards. And it was I won't say it was good that all these different things happened, but it gave you such a focus, you know, and even though it, it kind of detracted from maybe more constructive things that you could have been doing on, on the football club side, like that focus, having that kind of common thing that everybody could get behind was really really important to, uh, over those years and and again it was everything was so public you know we were very transparent in terms of what we're doing and, and 
that engendered a huge amount of trust mm-hmm. uh, I think within the, the fan base as well so but you know when you when you look back at it now like you're kind of saying to yourself Jesus <laughs> you know you, you we went going? from one thing to another like yeah. you really did um, I couldn't imagine the meeting so you're sitting down you're discussing right we'll get Scully in that's it no problem now we have to discuss <laughs> the GAA are encroaching on us now as well so it was just one thing after another and then not not much not much more than a week after that decision the 21st of December the Department of Arts Sports and Tourism were formally informed of the resolution made by the council on the 12th of December and then we had 2006 with the exception of goalkeeper Barry Murphy and midfielder Cahill O'Connor Pat Scully had put together an entirely new squad for the challenging season that lay ahead for the hoops as they prepared for an unknown journey in the fourth division nicknamed the Discover Ireland season by Rovers fans so you got your fair share of geography in that season <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. Yeah. too much in some instances yeah. Yeah. nine opponents all outside Dublin at Lawn, Cove Dundalk Harps Galway Kildare Kilkenny Limerick Monaghan breath of the country well, it was boom time for those clubs. I mean, they, oh, never, yeah. they never yeah. saw crowds like that. Like, it was, uh, it was yeah, great. There, there was a line in Robert's book, actually, was like, we got 900 in consecutive games against, uh, I think, Limerick and Monaghan. And in Monaghan's case, that was like four times their normal attendance. 900 people. Didn't know what to do. And then we had, in January, um, the... 400 Club AGM members agreed to proposal to change the name to Shamrock Rovers Members Club. Um, was that a significant moment or was that just something else that just kind of went with the motions? Well, it was an important step for us because, again, to go from being the 400 Club to actually being a, a members-run club, even though it was something that was happening for the last six or seven months in practice, but to have it all nailed down and, and today's point from earlier like uh, just having everything done from a good corporate governance perspective yeah. again it was a very significant milestone for us it's simple as of a yeah. very important you know? yeah. I mean it reflected what we were mm. and it's what everybody feels part of you yeah. know it's uh, and again people really hold that very dear like I know you know some people have different views about things, but you can see the pride people have in, in being owners of the club and turning up to the AGMs and, you know, having the opportunity to voice their opinion on, on things that are quite important uh, to them and, and to the club. And the fact that people come and speak to us about virtually anything and, and have their views heard, it's, it's I think it, it's huge for people, it really is. And I don't think that can be underestimated in, in any way because... The fans did something really significant back in in two thousand and five, and mentioned earlier, like when the time came, they were stood up and, and counted. Countless clubs, countless countries have have gone belly up, but we were determined that that wasn't going to happen to us. Well, if you and think about it, like I mean, I don't think there's any other Premier League team anywhere in Europe that survived twenty two years in the road without a home. It's crazy, you know. When you it look really at what, is when you think you look at what the fans did to keep that club. In, keep the club on the road you know and what we went through um, and something you know, I always say that my membership a, is sacred it's a unique club in many respects you know? well, like when you're playing in Tolka and you know after the match it's an hour and a half after the game and Mark Battle and John Connolly and the, the late morning they're packing the club shop into the back of a car yeah. like, and shells are turning off the lights so you're doing it with torchlights like really yeah, yeah. yeah. they turn it off and they fuck off yeah, yeah. You know, electricity costs, they were trying to, you know, yeah, keep their the extra costs 10 down. minutes. But that's, 
they were able to rub our noses in it, and that's what clubs took great delight in doing over the years. But any opportunity. Little did they know that that spurred you on, though. That's the thing. They, that, that gave you the feel to say, do you know what? People are going to shit on us. We're just going to keep coming back. That put another little weapon into the armory. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Because when you see people are putting in that effort on a voluntary basis, they're unpaid. The text would come through for Mark maybe about quarter two in the morning with the takings. You know, he went home and counted yeah. and make sure, like, it's, you know, that's the type of thing that says, right, well, I, Mark is working that hard, John is working that hard, I have to, you know, my finger yeah, I well, have yeah. to keep going, so. And then we had um, 24th of January, just after the proposal for the name change, with the South Dublin County Council were informed by the Department of Arts, Sports and Tourism that there would be no funding made available for the proposed modified development. And then the 13th of February, having made it clear that to them by Minister John O'Donoghue and the Department of Arts, Sports and Tourism, they would not provide the funding to complete the stadium on the basis of the structural changes proposed. The council backed away from the earlier vote on December 12th and instead adopted a new resolution that the stadium would be completed to the original plans. So um, this was this was a bit of a, a feather in the cap now at this stage, wasn't it? it was, you were happy enough with that? Yeah, yeah, it was great. I remember uh, TV3 were there and Sinead San interviewed us after that meeting we thought oh this is all done and dusted yeah two months delay but sure we can take that you know yeah. little did we Didn't know, know. <laughs> yeah, what was coming on the track two, two months delay and then we Thomas Davis GAA club were unhappy and they made the point as the stadium was now state owned and they were being funded by the taxpayer and they were entitled to be allowed access to play their games there they wanted changes made to the design of the stadium for that purpose they were supported by other local GAA clubs Jude's Fogs uh, and Crean O'Neefa and previously in an email sent to, by David Kennedy of Thomas Davis GA to John Costello secretary of the Dublin County Board Kennedy stated that he was confident that the GAA would be the last man standing and if they went up against Shamrock Rovers on the stadium <laughs> issue. so tell us about that tell us about the well, feelings when you got when you've heard about that email and how did that email come about well I think it was it was the submission that they put in into the into the high court uh, was they didn't want a uh, Young kids and Tala fed a diet of association football. Wow, yeah. oh, that's the language, fascism, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The language they use. It really um, is. Jesus Christ. They couldn't have so, done themselves any worse. But yeah, so we, yeah, I mean, they, they, they were taking a judicial review against the council decision, so it was the council that were obviously having to a diet defend of that. association football. Well, wow. we, we always joked when we got the stadium, we were going out to a cafe, and that's what the Bengal would be. Well, we, we, uh, we took legal advice and we, we got ourselves joined as a party to the to the proceedings so it became sort of Thomas Davis against South Dublin County Council and, yeah. and Shamrock Rovers um, but you know it was all Thomas Davis were just a vehicle everything was, was being driven by Dublin County GAA board so they were just the, the smoke screen you could yeah, say yeah, yeah. it was being pushed on by the, the heavyweights that are the GAA let's be honest uh, I mean this uh, is a David and Gloyd story uh, yeah and, and to be fair you know you know, the FAI stood behind us as well. Um, you know, they get a lot of bad press for a lot of things, but they recognised what the importance of, what, of the, the situation and what we were trying to do and the importance of Tallis Stadium to us. And, uh, you know, they they gave us guarantees in, in respect of what we were trying to do as well. That was, uh, how that came about was we, we met them in Merrion Square and the strategy going into it, like Noel Bourne, like he's... He's very, very good in these type of situations. So he was saying, right, we're telling Delaney that we've been on the road too long. We're going to compromise. 
the guard can come in with us and that's the end of it. We don't care if it's a botched stadium. We can't survive any longer than this. So oh, yeah. that was the approach. Now, we had no intention <laughs> of that. But we went in and Delaney was horrified. He said, this is not happening on my watch. He said, we're not going to have another situation like we had with, with Flower Lodge or anything like that. So he said, look, give me a couple of days. So in fairness, they came back to them. They said, they'll guarantee the high court costs because we had to be joined to that because uh, we, we couldn't again we didn't trust anybody uh, we had to be in there fighting the case to be able to add the context and and really give the rover's face to the to the court case uh, so in fairness the FAI came back and they guaranteed the um the costs which were significant it was our costs ended up being somewhere in the region about i think 400 odd grand uh, the night the opening match at the stadium is fully enough when we got the fees back um, through the, the, the court process and we're able to hand Delaney a cheque on the night to repay the FEI for the, the fees which was one of many he's received yeah. in his time <laughs> don't, know what happened after we, don't know what happened after we handed it over <laughs> which account did I go with it? Uh, but it was it was a great way to, to cap it off and as Dave said like the, the FEI were behind us in this uh, but it was um that was a really, really tough period because you'd you'd go to the court, at least with the examinership, it was quite structured. There was dates, you know, the diary go in. It was and, a fixed period yeah. of time. You knew it was going to be 70 to 100 days. But This thing, that their just, intention was to just stall and block and you yeah, go in. Yeah. Drip dry roll yeah, was yeah. every penny they had, wasn't Two it? Years. That was it, like, and it just dragged on. And, like, now we... We ended up knowing a lot about the process afterwards, but you you turn up and there'd be no judge to hear the thing. And we said, we were there to our bars. It's like, the fuck is the judge? Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's not available today. Was, what, is he off golfing or something? So why, why, why? And you wouldn't be given a reason or given any notice yeah, prior to that? Being involved in another case or something that dragged on and, you know, takes precedence and you know, just just the court yeah, process. We were yeah. saying, do you know how important this is? Does he not know how yeah. important this is? We're dying here, like, and... And they were looking as bemused, you know, who are these? Off playing golf yeah. with some upper echelon <laughs> GAA man, you never know. But um, Did that statement, the last man standing, that just spur you on even more? Yeah, well, uh, yeah. I think their motivations were always clear to us, but having something like that allowed us to make it really clear to everybody. Nobody believes this, oh, that's conspiracy theory, you know, you're wearing your tinfoil hats again, but... I think how we got it is somebody that worked in the office of of wherever it came from found it on a printer and faxed it to us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and when we got it, like it was just it was dynamite. You know, because it laid out, I suppose, their strategy, their approach, how they were going to do it, and, and for us to get our hands on that, like it's information is is key in, in those situations. So it was uh, it was great to get it and just. That type of term, like you know, from a, a branding or a marketing perspective, it just it just makes it so clear to everybody what they're up or hence, what they're. they're hence the at. famous flag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As a quote from uh, Owen Rice here, he says, "South Dublin County Council and the previous government should be congratulated with going ahead with the stadium." John O'Donoghue, as you mentioned, a man with a staunch GAA background, stood up to them. I think he could see that, G- that the GAA didn't actually need talent. It was of no strategic importance from an infrastructural point of view, but it was strategically important from a hearts and minds point of view. It was a very cynical view of sport, 
to say that it is a battle between sports to win over kids. Just another GAA land grab, really, though, wasn't mm. it? It was, it was just well, one of those things. That was it. They were, no, they were afraid of what... That was a real phrase, though, wasn't it? They were afraid of minds. Yeah. 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 They were afraid of what we we do, you know. They they, I'd say they pretty much saw Tala as a massive base and they just didn't want the foreign sports coming in and, and having an influence. And I think that's what it was. I mean, look look what's happening now. I mean, Tala is Rovers at this stage, so I, I can only imagine how sick the guys who were involved originally are. There would have been lots of Rovers guys that went to Dublin. I, I played Gaelic football in Hurling. I went to Dublin matches in the 70s yeah, and 80s. Same yourself, yeah. I never went to watch Dublin again after that. No, like, I think someone said it to me. I can't remember who it was. It was someone who was steeped in Rovers history. Just, and it, was like, it was like your brother sleep with your missus. So, right gigs. <laughs> so um, we had marriage with Jim Walsh, Director of Economic Development at the Council, indicated that the Council would be interested in a proposal to ground share talent between Rovers and St. Pat's, but not, had been, but had not yet been approached by the FAI. The proposal was previously muted by the FAI as part of a wider plan to have bows and shells share daily amount and the support of the government. South Dublin County Council made known publicly <laughs> their intention to restart work on the stadium. Uh, 10 of March. It did not seem like the first division, as Rovers and Dundalk met in the opening league game of the season. James, you were talking about this. Before an enthusiastic crowd of over 2,000 at Talca Park, mm-hmm. Jamie Duffy and Willie Doyle were Rovers scorers in the 2-1 win. Come from behind, 2-1 win. Uh, 8th of May, Thomas Davis GA Club applied to the High Court, seeking leave to apply for a judicial review after it was made clear that Tata Stadium would be completed to the original plans. The case was intended to be between Thomas Davis and the SDCC, but Shamrock Rovers sought to be part of the legal case. The Gaelic Club opposed attempts by Rovers to be a party. Rovers' legal representatives notified the court of their decision to be joined as a notice party. So this is obviously a significant time as well. Yeah, so so can't really understate the importance of us being joined to that because it meant that we were privy to everything that was happening. We were privy to all the information that, that they were lodging and allowed us to keep the momentum uh, up and also to drive the strategy. So if you weren't part of it, you wouldn't be privy? We were not, no, no. So it was essential. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was vital. We had to be there because we knew nobody could represent the case better than us yeah. uh, in terms of what had to happen. So uh, The 26th of June. Rovers were successful in their application to the High Court to be joined as a notice party to the Thomas Davis GFC illegal case against SDCC. This didn't suit Thomas Davis at all and was a major setback for them. Uh, as for on the field by August, the top of the first division was extremely tight and every game was proven to be a battle as Rovers, Dundalk and Nimerick were all promotion contenders. 27th of August, the High Court set November 23rd as the date for the hearing of the Thomas Davis case. The case had to be heard on that date, with the judgment to follow some weeks later. If the court found against Thomas Davis, they would then only be able to seek leave to appeal if the judge assessed that the case was of national importance. 18th of November. With seven straight wins behind them going into the final game against Cork Ramblers at St. Collins Park, the Hoops just needed to ensure that they could at least get a draw in order to finish top of the table. And um, it was one out at the end of the night, but the final whistle signalled the beginning of a party time on the terraces. And mentioned the, tiger. the tiger parcel, late penalty. Fell foul of him away at the yep. end, didn't he? 
and the famous Pascoli speech. <laughs> uh, 14th of December. The High Court cleared the way for the case by Thomas Davis GA Club to proceed and the date of March 16, 2007 was given as the date for the hearing. In a statement released later that evening, the Football Association of Ireland pledged significant funds to assist Shamrock Rovers' legal costs yeah, in the matter. Yeah, so that's what we... The back of yeah, the FAI was so earlier. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. Didn't, yeah, we didn't have the funds to fight it. No, <laughs> and if, if we'd lost the case, you know, you're looking at a scenario where not only our would costs. we have a botched stadium, we'd have costs, yeah. our costs to pay. And theirs. Potentially theirs as well. Yeah, so yeah. it would have been double and triple whammy. So they were high stakes uh, at that point and for the FAI to back us was, was massive and was there a back and forth between as regards to the discussions with you and the FAI or was it just a bolt out of the blue where they said right well we're going to back you now it was that meeting that I referenced earlier where we said look we can't continue yeah. we're going to we're going to compromise and they said no way no you're not like this is what we're going to do mm. uh, so it was I suppose they were bolstered by the fact too that O'Donoghue was quite categoric in his insistence that the stadium was for soccer yeah you know? brilliant um, so it was all in your favour in that sense yeah yeah but we still had to go through the, the legal process yeah. I mean there's huge uncertainty because you don't yeah. know what way it's going to go yeah. Yeah. the judge gets out of bed the wrong size in the morning and he makes a different yeah. call you know it really is like that isn't it not quite but you know, it's not far <laughs> off at the time so we're now we're into 2007 at the annual general meeting Martina Janaki and Rob Tormey were elected to the board. With the club having met all the criteria with flying honours, Shamrock Rovers were awarded a licence to participate in the Premier Division. Uh, February. A report to the GAA Central Council meeting in February 2007 stated that Thomas Davis are competing head-to-head in Tala with Shamrock Rovers for the hearts and minds of the young people of Tala. And Thomas Davis also used their 2011 2007 general election to urge their members to bear in mind the candidates who did not agree with them were pinning their colours squarely against the GAA that's crazy isn't it and um, they're just mentioned they were also using um, Crow Park in their argument weren't they because it was around this time that Crow Park was open to uh, football and rugby for the first time yeah because of the redevelopment of Lansdowne Road. So from their point of view, they thought we should return the favour. Yeah. Uh, look, I think the judicial review was really around how the council it went the about process, their decision-making decision, making yeah. and, and stuff like that. So that's what the... the note, so it was a purely technical uh, piece that they were challenging. But yeah, they're... What they were hiding behind was, yeah, this is a community stadium, you know, it's got community funding, so it should be on to the, the whole community, you know. So, kind of neglected, I suppose, what happens with up and down the country in, in GA stadiums that have been that have been funded accordingly. So, it was quite emotive, as Dave mentioned. There's a lot of people that would have been pretty regular, you know, Dublin supporters, um, they just wouldn't go anymore, uh, mm. I guess. So, yeah, but. But you can see why they were trying to, to stop us. So, yeah, We had the antipathy of for Thomas Davis and the GAA within the hardcore. Shamrock Rovers fans beginning to rival the dis- dislike of Louis Kilcoyne. Banners revealed by Rovers fans told Thomas Davis where to go. Thomas Davis, GAC, fuck off and die. And no surrender to the GAA being sung from the stands at Talca Park. 
and um, Rovers continued to play during their lengthy impasse over Tala. And with John Bourne, Rovers director of 2005 to 2010, all through that time, you had to believe that it was going to work out. I would have had faith in my justice, or in justice, we had nothing else. Uh, fate was all that we had in the past myself and a few others would have been moaning about the club not doing this and doing that when the 400 club got attacked mm-hmm. together in 2004 the opportunity arose and we had the responsibility then some people's faith just never wavered at all I heard one person especially was Joe the Hoop who uh, sadly passed away yeah. mm-hmm. he just right to the end he always believes we would get through this and make it to mm-hmm. so the likes of him and John Byrne their faith just never wavered mm-hmm. And you would have had support from these type of guys who oh, yeah, yeah, to push yeah. it all the way through. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And guys going back like generations, like a lot of lot of older mm. fans, mm. you know, that you know, fans who were like in their eighties and nineties who signed up for membership in the club and you know, just rode in I behind probably, believe. Probably never we saw Tala as well. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah, a lot of them didn't. Mm. And we had and John also said we're getting to the GAA submissions and it was basically the sons of Aaron and three scores and ten years ago our forefathers <laughs> and all that kind of nonsense. He says I don't know maybe they believe that it's not that they are more Irish than, than us it is the fact that they are the Gales and that's how they see it. We're playing this foreign game. I remember being on news talk and they were playing devil's advocate about the GAA and I said to them that Irish football has been going on longer than the GAA. The Irish Football Association was formed before the GAA. And if you're talking about ancient Irish sports, you're talking about football, not Gaelic football, not Hurling, but football. So, John, sticking the boot in there. I love John Byrne. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, John, definitely getting stuck in there. And uh, the situation puts fans of both Rovers and Dublin in a difficult position, like you just spoke about, James, and many Rovers fans walked away from the GAA because of all this, except Joe's... Just yeah, still goes. Still goes religiously. Just had to throw that in. He, he didn't for a while, I think. I remember um, I happened to meet him in, in town uh, on a Sunday evening. Um, He's hiding his colours. <laughs> I, I couldn't understand why he was so sheepish, you know, and then he said, look, I was at the match today. Please, he said So, as for you guys, like, have you moved on in terms of like how you feel with GA was there always going to be bitterness there I wasn't I'll just jump in before the lads say and I wasn't around but I after listening to the first show and listening to this and just everybody sentiments in general I have no time for an association like that so I can only imagine how the lads feel who have fought through it we weren't even there but I'll let the lads pick it up from there I wouldn't um Life's too short. I mean, it wouldn't be wouldn't bother me about it now. To be honest, which I, I just wouldn't go and watch Dublin. And might, if they're on the telly, I might watch it, but I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't go to Croker to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but having said that, there's a lot for us to learn from from organisations like the GAA. Like, I mean, you know, the way they, uh, you know, the the way they bring kids in at an early age, and I think you know, we we've to a degree we've we've ploughed our own furrow in terms of uh, of our academy and building our academy. But it, it's it's stuff that that we're doing now that League of Ireland clubs should have been doing forever in a day and the GAA always had a lead on them the rugby had a lead on them so there's lots that you can learn from other sports and to be honest you know as a father and a grandfather I mean I really don't care what sport kids play as long as kids are playing some sport yeah, yeah. you know and that's more important than anything else and great if they're you know if they're into into football as yeah, you're not going to force your opinions no, on no. these guys yeah. no as Dave said like you know there's a huge amount you know in terms of volunteerism that goes on the so many people doing a lot of good work the problem is you have 
some of these guys are in the hierarchy that you know make these type of decisions and uh, I wouldn't be as magnanimous as Dave uh, I still have that <laughs> burning uh, piece within me in relation yeah, to the, the GA so the kids have to play cricket if they want to be a team sport you know so <laughs> a diet great sport yeah. cricket anyway yeah. oh yeah <laughs> plenty of Robert Sands go to watch cricket yeah. <laughs> like we're called from uh, Jason Maloney here he's a bit like you James just unequivocal the GAA tried to kill us. That's the way I look at it. The last man standing email summed up their policy. The longer they could delay it, the less chance we had. People wondered whether we could survive examinership, but it was probably easier to survive examinership than it was to survive those last few seasons in Talca when we were waiting in Tala. I'm definitely still bitter about it. They tried to kill the football club. Football club that you love and that you've been going to for 25 years. They were prepared to kill it, and for what? It wasn't to play in the stadium. They just wanted to stop Shamrock Rovers from playing there. Now I give I give Jason a bit of grief. He gives me a bit of grief. But this quote should be borne into the to the memory of every Rovers fan. Hundred percent. It should be borne in there and just read it every so often because it's it's totally true and it's it's the way we should feel about. It. That's how I feel because that's what they wanted. Essentially, that is what they wanted was to just kill us off. They couldn't give a fuck about us. They just wanted the stadium, and we were an obstacle. And they wanted to kill off Rovers, and that's what we should remember, and that's how they sh- they should be remembered as well. So, uh, like they they just didn't want us in there. Yeah. Like you look at it's quite childish in a way as well. That stadium it? can facilitate underage GA games, yeah. and you look at the number of games that have been played there since the stadium was opened you can count them on one hand there's probably been maybe four I'd say um, there's been very very few so if they really did want to play it they could be playing games there all the time underage and, and that was part of our our argument all along because obviously they needed a smaller pitch uh, for that size but it's just it's just not done like, yeah. so you can't argue with a, a word of so they thought we didn't get a full ownership we didn't get the full thing oh, we'll just drop it now we don't care yeah. Yeah, but ironically like I mean they also contributed to the development of rugby in, the, in Tala <laughs> <laughs> rugby gets played in Tala yeah. American yeah. football Amer- archery yeah. I think I saw archery <laughs> being played as well archery yeah so we had the 9th of March and the season began in earnest We're not, and not too exciting they'll all draw away to UCD but what was most important from a Shamrock Rovers perspective was that the club was back in the Premier Division so, uh, so obviously t- everyone was buzzing at this t- point. Tanner was on the horizon, yeah. Back mm-hmm. in the top flight. Yeah. And um, when when you got back to the top flight, what was the what was the general feeling within the borders? And what do you do? You need to do something different. You need to kick on, or what was the challenge ahead? Yeah, one was well, you needed more money, obviously, yeah. to compete. It's just um, so it was just it was a new challenge, um, but. Uh, you know, we we we've, we had a nucleus of a good, good team there. We felt mm. they were young; they they could, you know, we could push on. We could, but I mean, we were competing then with you know what was going on at. at oh, was it the big money then? Balls and shells and that. Like I mean, it was yeah. I mean, you you couldn't compete at that level. So having said that, were you shocked by how well we did? We came fifth. We're actually in the running for the title until the last five weeks of the season. Yeah, like Pat again, like we had the momentum from the previous year, and Pat brought in a couple of other players, like and and pushed us on. So we were surprised, but like it's there was so much going on, like you just kind of accepted. Well, you know, we're overs, we're back. Like this is where we should be. Like that's just the the mentality that you had, and it wasn't the case of well, 
we have to just scrape around here and try and avoid relegation. Like our, our thought was, we need to be back up there and, and challenging Keep because on, yeah. you know otherwise, like you, you don't you don't push yourself, and, and that's what we felt we had to do. So, like every manager that's come in, like we've tried to give them the best opportunity to succeed. So it's never been a case of we've sat down sort of we'll be happy with this. Like it's yeah, you're not going to bring them in and not back them to the hills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We did. We'd had a good run in the cup too before, did, yeah. but the, you know. It's like football manager where you give out the, the objective to the manager. It's like <laughs> yeah, respectability yeah. position. <laughs> yeah, respectable. Yeah, we need a couple one, yeah. So we'd already emerged in a setback to Rovers' plans move the Talakane when the Thomas Davis GAA club were granted permission by the High Court to challenge the terms of proposed use of the stadium. And Mr Justice O'Neill also granted a stay on any works being conducted on the site to the original plans. Thomas Davis circulated a letter saying they did not have a problem with Sherwood Rovers being the anchor tenant at the stadium, but it appeared previously that this was a tactic on behalf of the GFC. So uh, another setback thrown your way on the 30th of March. So tell us a little bit about that, what you can remember in your memories. Of what, what's the tactic? Was the name of that? The, like a guess. With him not having a problem being the anchor tenant, what was that about? Well... Yeah, but they were. I suppose they were trying to mitigate the mm. the stuff that had come out in the press about you know kids being fed a diet. Yeah, so they were they were trying to and, fall yeah, back on know, their previous yeah. statements. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's all oh, no, they can be there, but you know we'll be there as well. well yeah, we'll yeah. all be happy families, yeah. kind of thing, <laughs> but that wasn't this. Like, and it's funny because uh, we met with the GM a couple of occasions just to try and see what can we do can we have some outside discussions to move things along because you know most uh, people can get through anything with a bit of dialogue but it was just it was funny it was around the time of the first match in um in Croke Park so if you remember what it was like the, the football pitch looked ridiculous in the GA field and my point to them was in a stadium like Croke Park where you've 80,000 there the atmosphere is brutal. It looks totally wrong. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in one side of the ground has a six-row stand that goes miles beyond the pitch type of thing? So my question was, did you see the match last night? And they didn't know what to say. Like, you know, I, know I was out milking the cows. Type thing. <laughs> so they wouldn't watch, they wouldn't even watch the match and they were afraid to even comment on... On, on the foreign games. Yeah, so, yeah. but they were just steadfast in their desire just not to have us there and it's just total total ignorance really isn't it it really is and um we did tw- from may 11th to the june 8th uh ongoing hearing of the high, ca- high case or the high court case it came back to july the 12th and the court was expected to set a date in october for the hearing of the td case so um we did 15th of may and the board of Shamrock Rovers met officers from the Thomas Davis GAA club. I'm interested in this one now. <laughs> and uh, the Plaza Hotel, the SRFC reps clarified how to deal with Thomas Davis, and they believed that they had the previous board of Shamrock Rovers to ground share at the stadium came to an end when it was rejected by the members of SRFC. And we, David Kennedy for Thomas Davis, agreed that if a soccer club sought a ground share with a GAA club, such an arrangement would not be possible as it would be against GAA policy. The Thomas Davis officials at the mean confirmed that it will require use of the stadium on 30 or 40 dates per annum so tell us about this meeting surely Dave is laughing away here something happened that we might not say on air but tell us about this meeting because uh, by the reading here surely there was potential for digs you had to be cool calm and collective in that meeting that's like 
I'd with, say they came in with just a wall of negativity and they just said, you know what, we are not going to discuss this. What we want is what we want. There's no middle ground. Was yeah, it like that? I think like, you mean 30 or 40 games like a year. Like, that's, that's crazy. What about Basically, their overall? we're going to play it. No one else yeah. is going to play it. Yeah. No. Even their overall demeanour and confidence. Like, what, what did you read from them? Did they swagger in? In the meeting. There was a... A thin veil of respect. That's what I mean. Like they. So that was because you didn't box the head out of each other. That was the thin veil of respect. Well, it was like they didn't want to be there. They didn't want to talk to us. Um, but they kind of had to because again, if they refused to meet us, uh, it would have looked really bad for so them. This so this was a forty-minute meeting, by the way. So yeah, they weren't they weren't interested in engaging really, and you know they brought up a lot of historical stuff about why they should be in there, and you know. It's, you know, we we were taught that we need to be working together to fight drug dealers, not fighting each other. This type of stuff, you know. So, uh, not physically fighting, but yeah, having yeah, kids yeah. Uh, playing sports and and getting them off the streets in that way. But it was really difficult. But again, you could see, uh, and we brought we brought somebody along from the FEI with us as well, so they could also get that insight and and report back on it. Um, because they just, you know, it, it just showed what the I suppose what was behind it at the time like it was ridiculous to think that Thomas Davis would need a stadium like two men and yeah. a dog go and watch a game on Thomas Davis two men and you know? dog exactly yeah. considering the grounds that they had already yeah. I mean what, what more did they want well, they, they had, had a few unfortunate fires <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> another call from um, John Roach he said about this meeting they were surprised by our fundamentalism what do you think John meant that? <laughs> It's very uh, political way of speaking, isn't it? John. Well, I mean, we our commitment to the cause, if you like, yeah. and uh, you know, basically what we saw is our ground and and mm. um, and our our rights to to have it as our home and and not to share it. So they were surprised that we were just so involved and and that it meant more than just a club to yeah, us. I think yeah. that's what it was, isn't it? I think, again, they were just a bit taken aback by <clears throat> the fight that they now had on their hands yeah. that they weren't. They underestimated, didn't I they? think, like a lot of people, they underestimated us as as a club and, and as, as people in terms of what we would do and what we'd be prepared to do. Um, that's, I think, that was the biggest takeaway for them. I think they were a little bit surprised because... Yeah. They'd hold a view of themselves and, you know, they were certainly outgunned in that meeting to, to a very large extent. They thought extent. this would be a handy number. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, it, it goes back to the email, you know, that's what they truly believed, that in any fight they'd be the last man standing. They weren't. It wasn't the case, was no. it? And we the 2nd of July in a letter to Christopher O'Donnell, chairman of Thomas Davis, uh, Roji outlined the reasons why Shamrock Rovers believed that it was not practical for the Gaelic club to stage adult GAA games at the stadium and it was used by Shamrock Rovers and other organisations. And then we had uh, three weeks later, 23rd of July, Shamrock Rovers issued a press release detailing proposals to recommence the work at the stadium without any further delay. It was stated that the ongoing delay was then preventing them from moving into the stadium was costing 100000 per annum. And the club believes such works could take place and enable the hoops to move into the stadium for 2008. And such works would not prejudice the outcome of the continuing high, K, high, K, high court case. And the erection of a temporary stand on the east side of the ground was amongst the proposals. So we're getting into the thick of it now. And Mars, <laughs> the lads are grinning away here. There's all sorts of stories in their heads that probably won't tell us. Yeah, there's a lot that, that probably can't come out. But it's kind of like I referenced earlier. Like We were able to put a detailed proposal together um, to put to all the different stakeholders. Again, 
through people like David Bourne uh, that would have a, a good background in, in architecture and building and stuff like that and you know it was potentially a viable plan but really this was about putting pressure on everybody and re-highlighting our plight um, and it was did we ever really think that this was a real prospect probably not but it was something that we we certainly had to do because again by presenting people with a picture of what a stand would look like um, in the stadium like we thought visually like this will help people to to really understand the impact yeah and say look why can't we just get it going Uh, realistically there's no way they were going to start building the stadium while the the court case was going on Uh, but it was something that that we had to do Um, and again it got a lot of really good traction I think and it helped move things along to to a large extent so and there we have the 16th of October move on a couple of months it was back to the courts as the ongoing case concerning Tala Stadium was heard over two days and Shamrock Rovers had their opportunity to give their submissions and then three days later on the 19th they had taken everyone by surprise throughout the season and had become serious title contenders but the hoops run out of steam as they ended a crucial stage with just four games left and a strength and depth wasn't there and the injuries and suspensions crept in that's the team we're talking about not the could have been the lads yeah. could have been <laughs> and we had the 9th of November the season ended with a nil all draw at home to Warford Rovers finished in a highly commendable fifth spot and they had re-established their reputation on the pitch and all eyes were now turning on the imminent high court decision which would have a massive bearing on the future of Shamrock Rovers football club so um, the 14th of December was this it it was the high court they dismissed the case brought by Thomas Davis GAA club to overturn the decision to complete Tallis Stadium to the original specifications and intended use. Was there a media celebrations or was there kind of wait until they appeal? Um, we 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 were advised obviously that they would have the right to appeal in advance if if they won and obviously we'd have that right as well. But our concern was they would appeal and it could get dragged on and dragged on, but yeah. still. It was such a it was such a euphoric moment to yeah. get the decision in your favour and that's the infamous no one for it, wasn't it? Yeah, Big yeah, smile yeah. on his face. And like <laughs> you know, you we're there in the court like and a lot of great Rovers fans were there as well that day and it's just the judge is reading out a pretty long statement and Alan O'Driscoll, our club solicitor, like he obviously has a copy up the front. He knew he could skip to the back yeah. and look at the last cut and he just gave us the nod. Now we Kind of knew what it meant, but, but didn't. Uh, but we waited for the finish, way. Yeah, like, you had to. And even then, you can say, what, what does that mean? What does yeah. that mean? But that was, a, that was a really great day. Like, it really was. So, so where, was the, where was the piss up after? <laughs> Those stories are locked away, I'd say. Yeah. So describe the euphoria you felt, Dave. Yeah, like, I, I wasn't around the, the day, and I wasn't in court that day. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I mean, it was... Uh, that was probably bigger than the the examinership in, mm. in, in the sense that like I mean if if we the decision didn't go in our favour we were, we were fucked yeah so if it didn't work out I mean what was the case going to be there like I mean no stadium yeah it would have been a free fall wouldn't it yeah like it's you're talking about playing on a talca you know or, or something like that like it, it it didn't Square, yeah, one, yeah. square minus yeah square minus yeah whatever because that, like that's the thing like at that point you're going on momentum because even though like things had dragged out we were going in the right direction like if if you'd lost that case I mean you think of 
the stadium would have been completely butchered. Like it would have been completely butchered. Because oh, yeah. like if you think about the dimensions, and again, it was a couple of visuals that that we put together about what a GA pitch would actually do. You know, in, in terms of the the stadium, it wouldn't be anything like it it is today. And yeah. again, like they would have had to redevelop the dressing rooms to to cater for the size of the the squads and things yeah. like that. Like it would have been. And again, I think. It wouldn't have cost probably ever as well. It would have cost a lot of yeah. money just to re- redevelop the whole thing yeah. as well. Well, I mean, all our plans were were predicated on, on on getting into the stadium and getting the stadium, you know, at least partially finished and, yeah. and getting in the door. Yeah. Um, so, even in the first game of the season, it was barely finished as well. Yeah. There was still yeah, paint yeah. being going up yeah. and, and all sorts. It was touch and go. weren't we yeah. uh, weren't we saved by a shooting down the road in Tallinn? Because it was so overcrowded, the cops were thinking about yeah. scrapping it, and there was a shooting down the road, so that's what saved us. <laughs> cops had to uh, had to leg it. So the 2007 season came to an end. Rovers announced their big sign, Stephen Rice from Bohemians, and he was going to spearhead our charge. And with the 18th of January 2008, the High Court turned down an application by Thomas Davis for leave to appeal the Supreme Court and awarded all costs against. The Gaelic clubs so and a long journey for Shamrock Rovers coming to an end. So give us a give us a breakdown. We 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 just happen to have um, an accountant in the house. So what about those costs? How much would they have, would they have ran into? Do you reckon for well, for yeah. Thomas Davis? Oh, well, our costs. Well, were, were, were just under half a million. million yeah, yeah. So half a million. Yeah, and we were we were a party to the. Yeah. I mean, we weren't a major player, so I would imagine their costs were. Probably closer to the seven figure. Yeah. Wow. Plus, they would have had to pay South Dublin County Council's Council. costs, yeah. their costs, and their own. So. And obviously, that was footed by the, the GAA. It would have been. I mean, uh, come on, Thomas Davis yeah, aren't going to put their hand in their pocket for that. Because they were just a vehicle, as we said. Yeah. So there wouldn't have been much change left out at two bar at the end of the day. Wow. That's a lot. It's a big, big receipt there. So the 31st of January, South Dublin County Council released a statement reaffirming the commitment it had previously given the Shamrock Rovers for the use of Tallis Stadium. The council added in their statement that they envisaged they envisaged that the stadium would also be used for other sporting, municipal and cultural events, which we've had. We've had our American football and our archery, so yeah. <laughs> I think that's enough. Aslan played there too. Yeah, Aslan, yeah. No, I think they're no, That was cancelled. Yeah, oh, it was supposed to happen. Well, yeah, on the yeah. pitch. Yeah, yeah. And what about future uh, concerts and, and potential, uh, like let's say, music events? Is that ever on the cards? I don't. I think because of the way the summer season works, I don't think it's really viable because the pitch would be yeah destroyed, yeah. and you're not really going to be able That's to exactly. have an outdoor. You don't. You don't want that, like, yeah. So. yeah, true. Yeah, and then we have uh, the eighth of March. The season began with a one 0 away win to draw that United Park in a game that was televised live by RTE using a UTV outside broadcast unit Alan Murphy gave himself a debut to remember by scoring an all-important goal Steve Royce Desi Baker Darren McGuire remember him prof from our glim our, uh, oh, yeah. our dun- was it just over the wall there yeah we used to jump the back wall and watch him play so the half <laughs> for uh, Glenmore Dundrum yeah. Joe Hedder were defending champions there. That's the significance yep. of that win. Yep. So uh, Sean O'Connor and Pat Flynn also made their league debuts in that game. So uh, it was just a sense of you're, you're going to get there. I remember that season because it was just like everything is done. We're, we're, we're on the crest now. We're just going to get to Tallinn. Just get the season over with. That's the way it kind of was with people. Some rendition they just of songs that night, I remember. Yeah. yeah. Really was nice. that the night uh, Pat Tutty Senior sang in... What was the night he sang? No, at the that, was Talca, that, that was the last. That was the very, very end, wasn't it? That was the. Was that the Joey and Doe show? Katrina went over Cork. 
We mentioned that again, actually. Yeah. And um, so we had the 5th of May, the news that all Rovers fans have been waiting anxiously for. Work resumed at the stadium. Fans have been keeping a close watch at the site and hope seeing some activity begin. And the news that the builders had moved back in spread rapidly. So uh, Conroy and Maloney were there with their trails, ready to build the walls. <laughs> And um, the builders returned to the site. They didn't quite know what to expect when the Rovers fans descended to see what their own was. So were you there when they were when when they when they went in the building site? A couple no, of fans showed think, up. Yeah, <laughs> because I think in those days the forum was very popular. Like there was all kinds of treads and experts were starting to <laughs> to come out of woodwork in terms of every type of concrete and steel and stuff like that. But my post, yeah, yeah. I think that the first bit was around they went in to, to clear some of the the shrubs and stuff like that that had grown through the place. I think that was the first thing that happened. Yeah, and, it was overall, wasn't it? Yeah, from then on it was just you know people sending. Posting photographs of trucks. I remember, yeah. You're yeah, never so happy to, <laughs> to, to see, Like, there's a know? truck going in, it has the cement. And yeah. the roof is on the way from yeah. Finland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be here in three weeks. It's after doing a serious lap yeah. of, of Scandinavia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in the summer, we had uh, things were starting to come together, and although the work had been ongoing inside the stadium, uh, like Dave just said, the roof was completed, and the general public could see the true progress that was being made. So the, the much travelled roof finally arrived. Yeah. And then the 29th of August, Cork City's problem had become deeper by the time they returned to Talca for the league game. The hoops certainly didn't show them any pee when they recorded their biggest win of the season. Goals from Joey and Dole and Long from St. Pat's. Sean O'Connor and Owen Doyle saw the game, finished 3-0, and Cork's challenge for the title was slipping. But the hoops uh, were in an upward direction, and now they had moved into the top half of the table with the Joey and Doe show and my memories of that game was Maloney singing money 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 <laughs> to the car fans because I think they had struggled with a bus as Joe well wasn't it they, had, yeah, they yeah. could barely get a bus down I think the bus broke down or something along the lines of that but either way they weren't they were, they were really the really struggling the yeah. refused to turn up something, something. like yeah. that they had a bill and they couldn't pay it and yeah. it was uh, the Joey that was one of the best performances I've ever seen in the League of Ireland it was Joey and Doe that night he was fantastic and the young Owen Doyle Capping it off with a goal. Just on uh, building work being done again. So this was the summer of 2008. I'm trying to remember the exact near, year now, but was this the first time building had been done in Tallis since maybe 2002? Yeah, uh, yeah I think that was... Yeah. That's six, six years, years lying derelict. Yeah. Six Nothing. years, no bulldozers. No no sod being turned. Not, not, not even a, a lawnmower. That's mental. Mm. It's a long time to go without anything happening, no progress whatsoever. And we the 14th November, we had the season finishing with a 2 0 loss away to Finn Harps. And since they beat Crisis hit Cork City 3 0 on the 29th of August, the Hoops failed to register another win for the remainder of the campaign. And Pat Scully's relationship with the board had torn fragile, and it was soon to be announced that they had parted ways. But like I said, the atmosphere in that season, people didn't give a bollocks because yeah. Talent was on the horizon. And they were just like, get this season out of the way, fuck Talca, fuck this. It was just like, let's get this season done and dusted and we'll move into Talca and then we'll win the league. You know, it was that type of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, the relationship with Pat, how did that come to an end as regards to um, the I mean, relationship? Was it, was it he was just, falling out with everybody, wasn't he? He was yeah. falling out with Ricer and, yeah, and all sorts the, of players. The previous year as well. And the, the, the lads, were, I think the lads are still in the Midlands somewhere yeah. being thrown out the bus. <laughs> the famous yeah. me gone... Uh, you know, outbursts from Pat at the Player of the Year awards the previous year. But I think, I guess things had, had run its course uh, a little bit. Things had gone a bit stale. So, yeah. like, Pat recognised. And again, Pat, like, is, he's a serious professional uh, when it comes to these type of things. So, would I be right in saying it was his last job in senior football? 
No, he went to Limerick. Limerick, Limerick, yeah, yeah. He won promotion with Limerick, and then they sacked him. Possibly Tallow IT Gaffer now, but he hasn't been involved since. He got involved in Tallow IT from from when he was with us, but uh, like it it was his contract was up at the end of that season anyway, so it was. I suppose it just came to a natural conclusion a little bit, little bit earlier. So he was definitely the right man, the right time for yeah, when, yeah, yeah, when yeah, we got yeah. relegated yeah, to yeah, get yeah. us back it, up. It was it's a, it's a serious task to get any team straight back up out of that fourth division, and yeah. I mean he, he got us up. So yeah, I don't think you can underestimate the role the pass has played in our, our history yeah, yeah. because he certainly came in, got us out more than steadied the ship. Like he put us really going in the the right direction. Like a lot of the players that he brought in, like have. Gone on when you say a lot, you mean a lot of the players he brought yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like you know, Gerald Bryan kind of came in with the maiden price, people like that, and like Jer, he when Michael came in, he sold Jer to Derry, and that made the funds become available to sign a, a certain yeah, yeah, centre yeah. forward. You know? So <laughs> divine number nine. So like the the fruits of I suppose what Pat helped so like have you know continued to help us over the years. Yeah, yeah. So like he deserves a lot of respect. And then we had the 15th of December, there was no shortage of applications for the vacancies. Uh, manager's position at Shamrock Rovers, but the speculation was brought to an end when the board announced that they had appointed Michael O'Neill as the man they believed it was up to the job of leading the club into a new era at Tallah Stadium. Tell me, can you can you divulge any other managers that applied for the job? Is that all right to ask? Oof. Well, there was a certain scouts. Yeah. You can yeah. probably name all the candidates yourself. Like, I mean, yeah. Jason yeah. Yeah. Here, is it? But anything from left field, <laughs> anything no. left field that you thought, Jesus, that's a bit odd. Like, yeah, I'm I think the there were two obvious ones. Mm. There's a couple of poils where you just go right. Well, that's the poil that is yeah. not getting picked. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I suppose probably the the obvious one then was was probably Cook. Yeah. Not Cook at the time. Oh yeah. 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 yeah really. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was quite, he was with at the time Sligo. he was just like yeah. yeah. he's um, gone on to do massive things isn't he yeah we there was a couple of um, there was a manager that was formerly with Galway uh, and the Pats but basically he would only come to us uh, if his assistant was going to get more money than um, than our manager would have been on yeah. so some of them just had totally so just a racket they were yeah. looking for yeah. Kenna. yeah and Ian Foster would have been his uh, okay. his his sidekick you know, yeah, like where, where are they now <laughs> well, I think, I think we, we, at, you know, we, we, we met Michael O'Neill Jonathan had good contacts mm-hmm. in Scotland and it came through the contacts that Jonathan had in Scotland and he came over to us and you, he, went, he to, was, you went to see him yeah you? I mean he was, he was we were talking about that before you showed yeah, up he was no. saying it was the coldest he's ever been in a game of football <laughs> <laughs> I mean Michael O'Neill was, was hugely impressive when we interviewed him and, and he bought into what we were trying yeah. to do and you know we were all very impressed and we thought yeah well he's probably our number one mm. and and was it a landslide decision between the board to elect him in as the new gaffer or was it was it toy um, it was I think it was in all situations that you've got dissenting voice and people that will challenge which is good um, but like I think we were pretty pretty, pretty confident in that it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple of times and that so and tell us this were you in favour Oh, absolutely! You <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then yeah, no, when we decided that we wanted him, then we sort of said, oh, "Jesus, you know, oh, sort of football they play. Better yeah. go and have a look." So as James said, I went over to I had a mate in uh, over in Dundee, um, so I, I flew over to Edinburgh and went up to Brecon, where top of the table with 
rate at the time. You were saying there was a nice crowd at it as well. Yeah, a couple of thousand in, in uh, Kirkcaldy and in, in, in race ground in Kirkcaldy, and um, uh, but it was the coldest ever been a bloody football match <laughs> in my life. It was freezing. It was in uh, the middle of winter. Um, but I remember at the time, rate went two nothing up in the first half. Couple, of, you know, breaking were probably a bit unlucky, and they'd been playing four four two, and they came out the second half. And I was watching. I was watching O'Neill on the touchline as much as I was watching what he was doing on the pitch, and they went four three three, and he stuck this guy in down, uh, came on down the middle of the park, and uh, Emma Wayne's kick and rush style. They finished two two, and he was very composed on his side of the pitch. They came back, pulled it out, and they should have beaten Wraith, and they ended up two two. And I came back to the lads and said, "Very impressive." Um, and they had a good look at centre forward. So are you claiming? <laughs> oh, Dave is. Is that claiming the scout rights? We're going to history here a bit. It's on air now. But, uh, you know, then subsequently, Michael O'Neill came on board, and, and as you say, like I mean, Gerald mm. Roy went off to Derry, and the money was used to bring in a centre forward. Do you remember the uproar with Gerald? Yeah. 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 And we were, oh, we can't be the other Gerald Roy. Like there the, the wasn't a very positive reaction to Michael when he was uh, announced. You can understand no. it though. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit of a left field appointment from where was, was it League One or two in, in Scottish. The wilderness, you could yeah. say. Back to all our previous appointments, they either managed or, or played for the us. Yeah. 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 Like Pascoli had played for us, Roddy had played for us, uh, Rico had played mm. for us. Yeah, well, he was, was very, very much outside, the, as you say, very much left yeah. the centre, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But we, when we met Michael, we met him in a meeting room in Maldron overlooking the, the stadium. stadium yeah. Because for us, like again, it was a big psychological thing to try yeah. and because we had to convince him to uproot his family, come over, and so we wanted to sell the dream as well. And I think it is pretty impressive when you're sitting there looking saying we're going to be in that it's going to be brand yeah, new yeah, yeah. and this is what we're going to do we've got this whole hinterland to ourselves yeah. like and it's you know in fairness to as Dave said like Michael bought into it from day one like he was very astute manager like really good um, I think he couldn't get over that we had somebody like Desi Baker on the books he could see yeah. Desi because I think Desi had been sent out on loan the previous the dog, year he wasn't doing well but Michael got the best out of him and Michael could obviously see he'd be the perfect foil for, for our friends. But even when it came down to even the as regards to the, the structure of the club, he had a hand in the contracts as well and designing those as well, didn't he? Yeah. I mean he was they were they were very competitive contracts mm. and they weren't just lump sums as the likes of maybe Bowles were paying at the time. Bowles was just a lump sum up front there you go, there's 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 a few grand a week or whatever, but with the Rovers contracts they were very competitive. Whereas you'd have to play to earn more money as well, and it was it was quite like that. Yeah, so Michael introduced that type of concept in that there would be appearance money, you yeah. know. So if you if you got in, and then there would be a win bonus. And you kept as well. playing as well. You'd yeah. earn more money, yeah. So like it's a thing that the Brads are even talks about today, like in terms of the mentality. They knew this is like two more wins, and we get up to the next level, level in terms yeah. of the the bonus would would work on a sliding scale. So. It really incentivised them to, to kind of do well in the pitch. Yeah. And that was the type of thinking that Michael helped bring into the, the club. Yeah, and he used to slice and dice the, the season. So, you, you know, breaking into quarters, so that would be his target for the first quarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, you know, got people focused, as James said, and got them... Uh, and he had a distinguished career as well across the world. Interestingly, though, uh, but Michael Neal, after he left the club, he was asked, like, what would be your highlight? 
what would be like your favourite moment as manager of Rovers think about the games he could have picked he could have picked Belgrade Wyart Lane two league titles and what did he pick he picked the first game at Tata Stadium because of the emotions and people's faces uh-huh. he saw around the ground and what it meant to them that's the game he picked as his highlight because well, think about manager. how raw that would have been in his mind as well yeah he would have been uh, he would have been a fresh face in a new in new surroundings and he would have just took all that in mm. so that would have been born into his memory I think anyway and um, he had a distinguished career career across the war as well he, uh, I think he outscored Gascoigne in a season at Newcastle and that's not in the bar that's on the pitch <laughs> and he, the manager's job at Brecon as well and he took up his post with us and the rest is history and we had Podge who finished the season top scorer with nine goals and then we the 22nd of January 2009 after a long illness and the death accord of Jack Wilson Jack's passion for his beloved Shamrock Rovers was second to none and he served on the board of directors in two different periods and was instrumental in the formation of the 400 club and this is another reason as well why I'd have a lot of hatred towards the GAA and Jack never got to see pretty much Jack, Jack never got to see Rovers and Tala because of the, the delay and the fact that Thomas Davis just kept delaying the improvement of the stadium and, they and that's why Ray put them yeah. on the list and that's why Ray hatred. put them on the list of hatred as well because they just he, he felt that his father never saw it because of them but so like that's precisely the point like so many great fans like Jack were just deprived of, yeah. of seeing us there and it, it's awful like you can't you can't frame it any differently than that and that's why some people just can't let it go yeah and like that it all adds up for me I mean because we're, we've been doing the show along nearly two nearly three years now and We've talked to so many people who have had grievances like that and, and people who have never seen Salah because of the delay in the stadium and, and mm-hmm. Thomas Davis. And we get opinions from left, right and centre and they influence us as well. And that type of thing, just you can't, you can't erase it from your memory. And um, that's, how, that's how we feel. Anyway, but then we'll move on. And we had the floodlights were switched on in February 2009 and it was a... It wasn't a big ceremony, but part of the commissioning process was to ensure the floodlights would be ready for the opening game and that evening Rover supporters were drawn to Tallet to see the ground under the bright lights for the first time and it was a cross between close encounters of the tour coin <laughs> and conclusion of fields of dreams. So the mantra is if they build it, they will come proved correct that night and the months and years that follow. So can you remember that night? Yeah. The floodlights like, were forced to run was their tears. It's so weird, like what you take for granted. Imagine like people get up off their backsides to go out and watch floodlights being turned on like I mean <laughs> but see that I can totally understand that I can totally totally understand and that and it wasn't just because Mick Cairns was turning on <laughs> <laughs> but like it was that t- because now it was becoming real you know you're seeing the, the floodlights being turned on in your stadium for the first yeah. time and it's something that you'll never forget like and it's yeah. It's so commonplace now. The lights are on a couple of times a week, and yeah, it's yeah. you know people and such a significant thing, yeah. wasn't it? Like right, it's it's happening. It's another little it's step because you know everybody would say, oh, "I won't believe it till I'm sitting firmly in a green seat." But that helps it become real, and it's just another thing to say. Actually, because you do doubt yourself, don't you, Dave? Yeah, 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 You doubt it's ever going to happen. happen You're yeah. saying, "What's going to come next?" You know, it's. And it would have been just classic if the stadium all the wasn't ready. Absolute shite that, that the club went through and you guys as as members and volunteers, I'd say you were just thinking it's they we're actually here, the relief. I can only imagine the relief after well, that was, everything. Like, that I mean it was the culmination of probably the best part of the seven years' work. Yeah. Mm. You know? 
it's a long long time to be, be struggling away and, and grafting and on your personal and your social lives and, yeah. and and that doesn't include you having to work for a living and, and pay your own yeah, like and bills and on top of everything the, the stress that that probably brought yeah I suppose what people don't see and you know it's not looking for cuters or anything like that but the amount of time and effort that people put in uh, into the club in those years and, and still do like I mean as I always say like you know I'm in a happy position now. I just rock up and go and watch the game. Mm. But like you forget, I mean, there was plenty of times I would have sat under the stand in Talca Park with Johnny Lee counting the money after a cracking after up. a match, Losing and he'd be wits. lucky to get out at half time to see you know to see the second half. Yeah. And the guys still do that all the time, you know, in, in the ticket office at the turnstiles, in the in the the bars and and, and the, the yeah. coffee shop and that. You know, it's um, it's a huge commitment that people undertake, and and then to be involved in actual running in the club you know I mean at the time of the examinership and everything you know, we're probably doing as many hours a week for overs as we were doing in work yeah you know? it's crazy isn't it but it's lucky you never sat down and talked yeah, yeah. you'd have been totally overwhelmed so yeah. we're we're not going to be able to do this is what you should, any we, we should maybe have uh, is there any psychiatrists that are involved around because they'd, they'd be great yeah, they'd, they'd be, be great a, it's the wife at home <laughs> well, they, they don't want to hear it you know it's it's the little things like in the, the lead up to you know the, the first match like we're in the Maldon the night before giving people their their car park passes mm. you know and it's just Deloitte that give them sense, a, yeah. yeah. You take one of them, you know. You, they're still working in the shop trying to get it ready, you know. And you you buy something and you get a, a receipt and it's got a Rovers crest on it. You're saying, Jesus, this is nearly this is nearly real. Yeah. Like it, it was just it made it all worthwhile, I guess, for us. So, so we had a quote with Royce and uh, the day the floodlights went up, I was driving up to the stadium. I looked up and saw those floodlights. I nearly rear-ended the car in front of me as I hadn't realised the traffic lights had gone red. I was staring gobsmacked at them. I'd be doubtful that Rovers could have survived another year in the road. History has shown that Rovers won, and if you look at everything that Rovers have done in Talent, not just the impact on the league, but also on the community in Talent, I think it's probably the worst fears of the people who were behind the judicial review. Everything they feared had come to pass, and probably more so. Mm-hmm. So we won't talk about the colour of the seats, but uh, <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember the furor over it? Do you remember the, the, the madness of the colour of the seats? <laughs> I think Hiller was one of the, the big the, the big arguers about that. Remember, yeah, when the, one single red seat went in, and everyone was there. The fuck is that like? It was a, co- <laughs> yeah. a cost cutting thing, yeah. wasn't it? No, that that must be test. Yeah. They must be just testing with that. Yeah, <laughs> you know that must. Is be that what you good. thought? That's what everybody was saying. Yeah, yeah. and then suddenly, <laughs> oh Jesus! There's a yellow one. There's a white one. What's going on here? Game of Tetris. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'd march. There was a great buzz around Shamrock Rovers in anticipation of the dawning of a new era and the build-up to the fourth game at Tallis Stadium. And um, so f- for you personally, in the, the week leading up to the game... Or even the morning of. Even the morning of. Just give us the, the, the general feeling that, that you... Would, were you sceptical thinking something's going to happen? Yeah. Were you thinking there's a fuck-up here somewhere? Someone, Something or somehow was going to just... Spanner in the works. Yeah, like you always have to be on your your guard, like because so many things have happened. I suppose on the whole journey that that you wouldn't have expected. Like you're you're always thinking something's going to come yeah. out, and the fact that it just seemed like they were so far away from actually getting it ready. You're thinking, Jesus, if this gets called off at the last minute, like you know, the the game was well and truly sold out, <laughs> uh, well in advance. So like it was. Uh, I remember I was in block A. 
the the colour there was madness. You couldn't barely stand. I think I was standing on someone <laughs> instead of the actual steps. Yeah, so but like it's I mean, like everybody else, there was huge excitement around it. Like you couldn't you just couldn't think of anything else. But like there was so much that had to be done in terms of you know, the the season tickets that were going out, the the ticket sales, the the you know, getting the car park passes out, everything like uh, about it. So it was Luckily enough, you were so busy with stuff that you didn't really have time to... Yeah, to yeah. It's only, tally year zero. Yeah. Proudly on the mantelpiece as well. Only afterwards it kind of sank in because we had a great night in the Maldon afterwards and we have a, a great picture with Wacker, like just the, the two of us, you know, afterwards. It was all done and dusted at that stage. We got the, the game under the belt, so it was like just a, a great feeling, I think. What would you then build up? Um, yeah, I don't... I, I don't remember... A whole lot about the day itself. I mean, I mean, obviously, it was you know, there was a lot of media attention, a lot of media focus, and um, I think it was just more. It was the emotion when the when the teams came out, mm. um, and and just the, the the buzz and the ground and the amount of people that had, you know, twenty two years on the road and finally home. Um, you know, hair still standing on the back here. Twenty two years. Head when you think about it, you know. And the um, Scottish strikers that you scaled have scored the first goal. <laughs> say I scaled. <laughs> now, in fairness, that's not what we heard about. <laughs> we tried to have a point about five o'clock. I don't know if you remember that day. The two yeah. was over the mall. We couldn't couldn't drink it. Like yeah. now, we, we so, like we were hosting our first match at Dallas, so there was loads of stuff we had to do, but we just had to get out. And but then when we were in, you can't do this either. Like it was just yeah. we were all over the place. Can't even relax. Yeah, it was just uh, incredible. And then. Um, we had the third day of March, the day that the Hoops fans had waited for, and many, I believe, might never happen, finally did happen when Slugger Rovers provided the opposition to the Hoops for the very first game at Tata Stadium. The crowd was limited to 3,300. That's the official attendance, <laughs> not the actual one, in my opinion, anyway. But in reality, the club could have sold four times that many for the historic occasion. And Gary Twig made history by scoring the first goal at the stadium. Desi Baker added to the score with Gavin Pearce making history too by becoming the fourth opposition player to register a goal at Tala. But his goal came too late to upset the perfect night for the hoops. Who was upset that Twiggy scored the fourth goal? I think it might have been John Libreri. I think it was John Libreri, wasn't yeah, it? Was it was like, like, oh, I wish someone else. I wish it had been like Aidan Price. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> Not this random Scottish lad. So, can you, can you remember the goal going in? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember going down about it's two flights of stairs yeah. in Block A and uh, just mayhem and so on. So, tell us your, your memories of the goal going in. What was it like? Pretty much the same. I was down in Block A as well. I don't know where I finished up, but it wasn't where I started. Yeah, it was just. But I don't looking back now it's easy to say but I don't think that result was ever going to go any other way and it was just like the and you, you, could, were, you could put that in the same category as the yeah. force ever derby as well couldn't you it was, yeah. it was just written uh, in stone wasn't it well yeah and look I mean you know the fact that Twiggy got off the mark and scored the first goal I think probably it was it was almost fate like the way he ended up yeah. and what he did with Rovers yeah. it was just a uh, just one of those things you know the, the stars aligned as they say yeah. you know? and uh, James we have you you're still on the board and Dave you stepped down at the 2012 AGM you were living in Dubai at the time so you were uh, too busy sunning yourself up no I don't think I stepped <laughs> down I think I was forced down yeah. <laughs> I was voted off yeah, I don't think we'll go into that we'll, uh, we'll keep politics away from this but are you, still, but are you enjoying your time on the board James yeah no it's, yeah. it's a real honour you yeah. know to, to be doing what we're doing and it's 
the satellite, the, there's a good core there that have been there since the beginning and really wanted to help push us on. Like we're we're quite experienced now in terms of what we're doing. If you compare us to, to what started out where we got by on a lot of naivety and a lot of energy, mm. I think like it's uh, a lot of people now that, that have very good insights into to what needs to be done. And as I said, we've huge... Uh, huge resources at our fingertips with the, the fan base and again it's 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 a real honour like to have served the club like over this time so still getting the same enjoyment out of which is great. Uh, and obviously we're looking to do much, much bigger things in the, the future. So it's yeah. you know we're still it's pushing plans are full. Yeah, yeah, still pushing. Hashtag sack the board. <laughs> <laughs> so James when you consider everything that went into to getting us to Tala to have Real Madrid and Juventus play here. And now we're building a fourth stand later this year. Could you have imagined it 20 years ago? First of all, the, the new stand, it's going to be called the Tifties stand. So, so we've prepared <laughs> anyway after today's meeting. So, um, yeah, so could you have imagined it all 20 years ago? What you're doing now? No, definitely not. Um, like, when you reel off stuff like that, like playing the likes of Real Madrid, Juventus, Spurs, the Europa League, it kind of, at the time, it doesn't feel out of place like that's the funny thing you take it for granted yeah. um, I remember I remember one of the guys from UEFA during the Europa League saying to us look lads you're not going to enjoy this till it's all over but he said when you look back on it like and, and it's true because like you're you know I mean you're hosting Ruben Kazan and you get beaten 3-0 like and you're just down in the dumps and yeah. you look back at it and you say like what did we think was going to happen well, you I think scoring goals but I think you know the importance of talent to the to the club and to what Rovers have done over the last 10, 15 years. You know, if you look, Real Madrid came. Um, you know, there was a great occasion. Um, but I think more importantly, some of the things that some of these clubs do in terms of the respect that they show to us. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Real Madrid came, and when uh, yeah, they were fantastic, they're they're yeah. When, they went, when the guys went in to clean the dressing room after they left, the dressing room was spotless. Yeah. They cleaned the dressing room themselves, right? Uh, and Michael O'Neill was so impressed about it. Like everywhere Rovers went after that, he made do that. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's Small a nice things, gesture, but, isn't you it? know, and and like they're one of the biggest clubs in the world. You don't yeah. have to do things like that, and they did it. You know, Juventus. I remember when we played Juventus. Like um, we have Del Piero on our wall there yeah, with the jersey, yeah. and he said we're a fantastic club. Yeah, yeah, but and like the respect that Juventus directors mm-hmm. show to to Rovers as a club, like you know, they were. It, you know, chose the standard of the club and, and what's been achieved and, you know, long yeah. may it continue and hopefully there's a lot more of that to come in the future. Yeah, the, the bigger the club, the classier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, some of the smaller clubs that we've played, like, haven't haven't been the same, like, they tend to look down on their nose at you yeah. more, whereas those big clubs, like, they treat you with massive respect. Yeah. Like, you know, and... Well, I think the Spurs owner was probably glad we didn't win a White Hart Lane or his luxury yacht might have got wrecked in Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. Host the party on it. Dave dropping names, huh? Do you remember a quote from Peter Murphy when we uh, reached the group stages of the Europa yeah, League? Yeah. And he was saying, we're obviously going to have to play these games at the Aviva. <laughs> like, was it difficult to secure the three games for, yeah, for Tallis Stadium? Yeah, really tough because we didn't, the stadium at that time didn't have the facilities mm. to. to come up to, to the required level 
So we had to do a lot of work, in fairness, with the FAI license and people to, to try and get us there. And CIF had to come over and do a number of inspections. But like it was, it was important for us that we There's never played a chance to play them like so. Not a chance. Plus, yeah. the Spurs game was at the very end, mm. and it wasn't meaningless. They could have still qualified, but we were out of contention by that point, and Spurs weren't treating it that seriously anyway. Mm. So I don't think. The Viva would have been justified for that Spurs game the, at all. The six o'clock kickoffs really killed us as well. Yeah, yeah. Like a time to struggle, get the people struggle, there. Like it's, well. You know, to think that you couldn't sell. Well, we weren't far off the eight thousand, but to think that they weren't sold out, like, is the the disappointing aspect of that. Like for at least the Ruben Kazan mm. game certainly wasn't fully sold. I don't mm. think. Um, and what about Harry? Was uh, was Harry alright? And could he read the notes that he gave? He, he could have been a good advisor to us when we were sorting out the tax affairs <laughs> for the examiner. <laughs> right, so um, I think uh, I think that's it for today, lads. It's been fantastic, and uh, we really want to thank you so much for coming in and like giving some younger hoops and even the older ones who don't know the story and the struggle that we went through, just some knowledge and and gifting them with this with this audio enlightenment you could say and uh, that's it so we'll see you on Thursday week before the dirty game and that's it lads so keep on hooping see ya cheers thanks very much guys I can see clearly now the rain is gone I can see all obstacles in my way Right.